0: How are you doing today, Mark? Hello, mate. It's nice to finally speak. It's been a long time since we've spoke, is not it? So I'm yeah, sure it has, um, I was going to say, sorry, it has indeed. Sorry. It has
1: indeed. We were chatting off air about how you are the officially the guest that I have chased for the longest on this podcast.
0: Could end up being your worst guest as well, mate. <laughs> could be. Could be. Um, could, end up being, could end up being the worst decision you've made, to be fair. <laughs> Right before
1: we kick things off, so I've uh, (laughs) I've known Mark or Mark's known me, whichever way you want to do it. Uh, So we did an internship together at Durham University. What six, seven years ago now? Might be, I is it? I think it might be 2014, uh, 2014, (laughs) 2015. Was it? Ah, yeah, six or seven years. Um, But I also noticed when I was looking through my show notes uh, this morning was that. Petr Cech was being frozen out at Arsenal for not being what you would probably describe as a modern-day goalkeeper. That's how long I've been chasing you. So, uh, do you want to just explain a little bit to the <coughs> listeners about uh, your philosophy
0: and how the modern-day goalkeeper came about? Yeah, so I've run up with my brothers. I've got um, I've got three older brothers. Um, Lee played professionally for sixteen years up in Scotland. Um, Never really got a chance in England because of his height. So he was about 5'10". 10. He, he says five ten and a half. and a half. And as we know, every half an inch or inch counts, doesn't it? So we, um, he uh, he played up there for 16 years, but height was never an issue for him. He, he was again like come for crosses. He could sweep up great with the ball on his feet. Uh, he had a lot of, a lot of. Top top qualities really and it's a lot what you're seeing today or or it's most wanted today. So I think maybe he came through at the wrong time, but it came about. We uh, I think Lee had just been released from Rangers um in maybe twenty fifteen or something like that, twenty sixteen. Um I think twenty sixteen, sorry. And we just got talking about goalkeepers getting released and he wanted to keep training and stuff like that, so we um we'll come back from Costco one day, me and Lay uh, and we've we'll been for a hot dog and a hot dog and a coke I think. One fifty special. Um brilliant, great there. Like I wouldn't eat them now like but um off topic, off topic, sorry. Um we'll come back and we'll talk about just talk about football in general, and just saying I want to help players and not be in this position that lays in and and feel as if like you've got no support there. So like again going back, I was Another reason why we started was one of Lee's old teammates. Um, he played at Queen of South with them, and he was a really good player, really talented player. But he had injuries, and he kind of went down the leagues, down the leagues, and eventually came to a point where he wasn't going to come back up through the leagues. So he ended up leaving football and having to try and get a, get a get a job. And like it, it's, it, happens in football. Like there's a lot of they don't get the support that they need. And he ended up taking his own life. And uh, and that just purely came from not having the right support around him. And really, for us, the biggest thing was it wasn't just about trying to create a, a style of goalkeeping. For us, it was massively to do with helping people not be in these positions, never feel as if they don't have the support they need. And a lot of people get released from clubs and think it's the worst thing that could ever happen to them. But for us people who work with it can turn out to be the best thing that happens to them. So we're really passionate about trying to help goalkeepers not just technically, um physically, but massively mentally. And Lee's first I admit that he struggled mentally through his career. Whether that's um down to I wouldn't say it was the pressures of the actual matches he was in, even though he did feel under he felt like a different person when he played, but it's uh, it's more to do with like advice away from football, and like he saw himself as purely just a footballer. And I think there's that's that's a big issue in in sport in in athletes in athletes, they see themselves as just an athlete as opposed to like a human being and what they are first. So that can be the issue because if things aren't going well in your sport, you're a bad person. You feel you don't feel like you have any worth, and it's so sad to to think that. But a lot of them do, and. I'm sure a lot a lot of people can relate to that. Um, so we're massive on on that is trying to trying to encourage people to create a life away from sport, like create an identity away from football, from whatever your sport is. It's massive, it's so important. But what that does is, again, we're about improving people. But if you can take pressure off yourself for your support, your sport, sorry, then you should be able to enjoy your sport and, and maximise your potential a little bit more. Uh, Because you take pressure off you straight away. So in terms of that, like massively, a massive thing to do with mental support and supporting players and and educating parents, players, coaches on on these issues of the game. But then obviously on the other side of things, we want, we call ourselves the modern day GK, but I think the positive goalkeeper would have been a better, a better name for it. Um, Because we want goalkeepers to play a positive way. I don't think it happens enough lately, um, over the years. There's a lot of it's funny, like you look back through the years, and I know people argue the game's changed and stuff like that, but there was so many more keepers who were positive They would come off the line and take things, take responsibility and we just want players to goalkeepers to start thinking that should be the norm, not waiting on the line, waiting for the game to come to you. So we look at it from quite a like a uh, what's the word um, holistic approach um, trying to trying to hit every criteria really we've got a we've got a guy who um, deals with the sports psychology side of things he's um, <coughs> he helped me write the e with us um, Mighty Quinn it's actually Niall Quinn's son that, um, but he's a goalkeeper he's a he's a great lad um, but like you say we've created posts dealing with anxiety like as you say in the ebook, Todd, I know you downloaded, um we've tackled a few good issues in there and hopefully it can help as many people as possible. Even if it helps one person, we'll be happy. And just
1: to just to elaborate a little bit there, the thing I liked most about your uh, ebook was the contradictions that you have brought to the forefront in terms of goalkeepers versus um outfield players. And I've written down on my notes, uh, what do you think causes caused the shift from, uh, as we mentioned earlier about, for example, Petr Cech and being phased out Arsenal because, for example, he couldn't play out from the back. And I wonder how much of goalkeeping stigma st- still affects players today in the sense of, if we think back to, for example, when we were probably kids, the kid who, for example, isn't so athletic or can't play or hasn't played, you're like, oh, getting goal. Whereas actually, if you look at goalkeepers, I was having a conversation with a good friend and coach, another strength and conditioning coach last night about uh, the clips I put up of the Schmeichel save at the weekend, and we were saying about what freakishly good athletes, elite level goalkeepers are. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the Definitely. things, one of the contradictions you mentioned in that uh, basic guide to goalkeeping psychology, is that if a five foot seven striker doesn't go up for a header and he, for example, pulls back. For the ball to be sort of put along the floor, he's playing to his strengths. Whereas, if, for example, a five foot seven goalkeeper doesn't come for a high ball, he's uh, too small for the game. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on why it is the goalkeepers are perceived so negatively?
0: It's a, it's people's perspective of the position, isn't it? So, what everyone looks for, every, because you got to think, right? You're playing in you're playing in a goal. That's bigger than that well, I say bigger than but it's a it's a big area. So in theory, the bigger you are, the better you should be able to protect that goal. But it's not as simple as that, is it? Like you look at like of course, like you're gonna get five foot seven goalkeepers. Let's just use them as an extreme. You might get a five foot seven goalkeeper who's exceptional at taking crosses, but you get another one who doesn't want to take crosses. Um, you might get a six foot five goalkeeper who's um, absolutely terrible at going for crosses, but he might be amazing with his feet. So you can look at it both sides of the spectrum, but what they do is they generalize generalised, don't they? So they say um, there's more chance of a big six foot five goalkeeper being good in the air and taking crosses just because he's taller. Um, and then you're going to say a five foot seven player is going to struggle because he's smaller than players around him. So he's not going to be able to reach the same height. So a lot of people look for a presence in goal. But again, you can define presence by your um, appearance or your mannerism and, or your behaviour, sorry. So you could, be, you could be a small goalkeeper but have a presence about you because you can go and take crosses, you can go and sweep up behind, you're brave enough like that, um, you're great at talking and organising things. So you become a presence that way as opposed to what everyone's looking for, is somebody who looks like there could be one. So somebody who is 6'5", and he's built like a, like a brick house, you know what I mean? It's like, I know it sounds a bit mad, but I always use analogy of like, imagine if you went to the pub on a Saturday night. Why do you think most pubs have big, strong-looking guys on the door so you don't make any trouble, isn't it? See, so there's less chance you're creating trouble. So it's the same in football, goalkeeping, they think if you've got this big, absolute monster of a goalkeeper, then it's going to stop chances from happening, as opposed to having somebody who could actually stop chances, who might be a little bit smaller, like in laser prime example of it, to be honest.
1: And, uh, yeah, we're going to break down a number of, um, I don't know whether stereotypes is the right word, but I suppose what's been written into goal- goalkeeping folklore for the right or wrong reasons uh, in today's episode so you mentioned about having a positive mindset uh, as a goalkeeper. And there's many techniques me and you have discussed at length over the last couple of days, which are, quote unquote, discouraged because it might lead to a goal. Um, so we'll just kick things off with uh, just kick things off with that. Uh, so the first one I've got written down is something called a Danish catch. Um, so for listeners who aren't too familiar with that, um Typically, how goalkeepers, and correct me if I'm wrong, how most goalkeepers will probably be encouraged to catch the ball is making a W with their hands. um, So that, for example, the ball can just hit the hands. And if worse happens, it falls down to the floor and pops back into the hands. Um, Whereas something that Cash for Schmeichel and other keepers uh, have started doing or something I popped up on my feed is a Danish catch where you basically get the elbows as close together in front of you as possible. And then the ball almost Hits the chest and then is secured against the chest with the uh, knuckles facing upwards or elbows in. Um, and again, many goalkeeping coaches aren't particularly keen on this. Uh, so let's kick things off there.
0: What is the correct way to catch a ball? Start, let's start with the W, mate. So the W, we we again, that's something that we think we've looked at and thought like. When you when you really break it down, you think, it doesn't make sense. Like, of course, get your hands behind the ball. But, right, what happens if I've got really tiny hands, okay, and I put my hands together like this, put my thumbs together, and the ball, I've got a size five ball. I'm only going to cover a tiny, tiny percentage of that ball, the surface area. So the chances of me holding that is going to be really, really slim. So, but everyone teaches this. So they always, like, catch... I'm obviously making my hands smaller, but everyone teaches this. And if you've got massive hands, then you're going to get away with it because you're going to cover more surface area of the ball. But the smaller your hands, the more you've got to create a better... better um, What's the word? Like, better, almost like suction. You know what I mean? Like, if you've got a small little suction thing, you're not going to be able to pick up a big object, are you? You're going to need a bigger area to cover more of the object. And it's the same kind of thing with your hands. I don't know if that was a good analogy, but... but the idea is, if you can grab more of the ball, you're going to have more control of the ball, and you're going to be bit obscure better. Uh, but everyone, again, everyone teaches this. But maybe it's just a way of like we've talked about before, a bit of a basic kind of guide so like in theory, you get your hands behind the ball um, and then be in that position. But like you say, when you watch Leeds, Lee Leeds catches the ball like that. So he's, hand, he's thumbs are miles away from each other. But He's covering that area. He's, well, he's covering more area of the ball. But league has got probably the best hands you'll see. And, I'm, and it sounds crazy saying it, but you could put him up against anyone in the world and you'd see how good his hands were. But again, oh, we're, trying to, oh, we're trying to like, instead of looking at how efficient that is, it's not seen as efficient. I mean, it's not coached because it's not the way they coach it. It's not in, sorry. shite that I Don't know if you can edit that. But um, so, like, Lee's got some of the best hands in the world. You'll honestly, you put him up against anyone. But how he catches the ball wouldn't be coached. But instead, why not look at it and think, right? That's really, really efficient. That he's got some of the best hands I've seen. But he doesn't catch the ball how I was taught. So why? Maybe, maybe I should try that as opposed to thinking, no, that's wrong. Don't do that because. I wasn't coached that. And I don't catch a ball like that. But you probably, this person who's seen that might drop 80% more balls than what Lee does. But that's the thing with goalkeeping. is like, as long as you do the right things that you've been taught, but it ends up in a goal or or a failure, you've done everything you can. You've done everything right. You know what I mean? So like, if you you get, if you side shuffle across the line and concede, as opposed to doing a crossover step across the line, that somebody might discourage and make the save. You could cross over, not make the save, but you've done everything right because you've done this this certain way that somebody's coached it to do.
1: And, and that kind of leads me on to uh, well, a number of topics, but just in hearing you talk about that, I think that's the difficulty that goalkeepers or the goalkeeping world has. Uh, there's a brilliant example that you put out on Twitter recently of uh, Manuel Neuer and a classic case of positive goalkeeping where uh, if you guys haven't seen the clip, I believe the ball's on the left uh, oh, Sorry, mate, that was Testeghan, go- that, at that, Barca. Uh, that my, my apologies. Again, I'll get to work on editing that out because uh, <laughs> I know Manuel Neuer is a keen listener, as is Testegen.
0: <laughs> I don't want to annoy either <laughs> of those people. he like, ah, fuck it, this guy's just taking current away from me. <laughs> the positive goalkeeping I've done, fucking hell, and, I, on, sorry,
1: sorry. and uh, they're probably traditional goalkeepers because they're uh, six foot plus. So I don't want those two coming after me. Whereas if they were five foot seven, I'll leave that be in there. You could, you could fancy chances there, couldn't you? <laughs> um, but yeah, to Stegen. So the ball's on the left uh, left wing, so the goalkeeper's right. Uh, and the keeper's side on. And I think the ball comes in it, low across the ground, maybe towards the penalty spot, 10 yards now most goalkeeping coaches might say right you shouldn't be coming for that kind of ball along the floor you should let the center half uh sweep that up or equally if you drop it there the striker's got a tap in but he comes and sweeps it up along the floor and uh try to remember where i was going with that point but yeah most goalkeeping coaches might discourage that because if you drop the ball you concede um but if you look at the context, he's not dropped the ball. He's saved what would have been a surefire goal because the striker's waiting and he'll have more than enough time if the keeper stays on his line. He'll have more than enough time to take a touch and to hit it. And yet, there's some people out there who might say that what he's done is wrong or they only say it's right because he held the ball. But it's like, you're waiting for that keeper to make a mistake so you can criticise him for what he, quote unquote, should have done.
0: Exactly that, Smith. that is exactly it. So like, what they do is, people discredit things so quickly, that's, that's like not seen as textbook, because it's almost seen as fluke. People think that it's it was lucky, and it's only a amount of time before he gets caught out. But you've got to say, for that, for, to Stegen there, he hasn't went really, really early. What he's done is he's read the situation, he's read body cues, and he knows exactly when, he, when to do that. So... I know somebody commented before and said, oh, he got beat at the knee post before. And I said, "But I says, well, that's even better because he's obviously learned from that mistake. And then he's been able to not go too early. He's read the situation. So it's so easy to say, oh, but what if, you know, like I've put something out there before about what I said. Goalkeeping seems to be built on what if. And I think that breeds negativity. I think it breeds like negative goalkeeping. Because nobody wants to take a chance. What's the point of... It comes to that thing of risk-free reward, people say. But it shouldn't be as high as a risk if the more competent you are. So, to Stegan, we're talking about to Stegen here. You know, like, I'm sure he is confident enough and he's he knows his ability and he knows his capabilities to, to know that situation and what he'd done was the right thing to do. And I'm not saying that every goalkeeper is going to be able to do that because not every goalkeeper is to stay Um But what I want to say, what we want to try and encourage is goalkeepers to, to go and take responsibility when they know they can because too often is, like I say, with what if. I could say for me, Todd, I could stay in my line. The ball comes into the box. I can either go and, go and affect it, go and take the cross or, or um, hold the ball or I can drop deep and wait to try and save the header. If I drop deep and try to save the head and the score, nothing said because I've not put myself in a position where I could be criticised. Whereas if I go out and I miss it, doesn't matter if it's 80%, percent you guarantee guaranteed to get it. But that little bit of doubt of think if I go out and I miss this, the blame's on me here. Fuck that. I'm just going to stay deep. What's the point? I might be getting, I don't know, I might be getting 500 quid a week. Playing full-time football, I'm not going to risk losing that over over trying to play and affect the game. But the idea is is if you can expose these goalkeepers to these situations in training, then they're going to be more competent at doing it. And again, it's like it's known it's known your ability and your capabilities is is huge for it.
1: And what's funny is um, as strength and conditioning coaches, uh, say, so for example, yesterday I was. Um designing a webinar that i'm delivering on uh, plyometric training and it talks about you can have soft landings from um, plyometric variations or jump variations because we know from the research that that limits the amount of stress placed on the system but then the question is what are you actually preparing the athlete to do are you preparing them for the demands of their sport so if you're thinking for example in training we're just going to minimize the amount of errors then actually, you never expose the goalkeeper to the psychological stress of competition. You never force them to use that psychological toolbox so that if the first time they make a mistake, the mistake's in the game. You say, how many times do you see a goalkeeper who's at the next up-and-coming thing and then drops a clanger in a massive match and then he gets benched and you never see or hear from that goalkeeper ever again?
0: Uh-huh. Oh, it's crazy, you know? Like, see, you need to build an environment where... People are comfortable enough to make mistakes, or allow, like allowed to make mistakes. Um, it's not about making training tidy, really clean and tidy. Because if you go, if you Monday to Friday, if you've had the best week, your, best week of your life training, in, in terms of um, you've never dropped the ball, you've made this save, that save. In theory, either training's too easy for you, and you're not being exposed to like the challenges that you're gonna face you're not really preparing yourself for a game so you're not really preparing yourself physically and mentally for the demands of a game on a on a Saturday um and that can go as far as like little things like training on 3g during the week dry 3g and then you play on a Saturday and you're playing on a really wet zippy pitch like you're not up to speed straight away so it takes you the first thing that happens in a game. It's not going to be. You're not going to be at that level straight away. Do you know what I mean? So, you're almost using the start of a game to kind of warm up, or that warm up before a match becomes the most important session of the week because you've got to try and take in as much information as possible within that se- within that warm up. Um, but it makes it easier if you've already took information in during the week, which is going to meet similar demands of the game. And
1: just while you're speaking there, I think there are a couple of things that spring to mind. Uh, firstly, is uh, I think it's Kelly Starrett's, uh, his philosophy when it comes to strength and conditioning. And he said, how can I create the athletes that can adapt to the environment in the most efficient way? And for example, when I was based with Middlesex County Cricket, they would wax lyrical about bowlers from yesteryear who would take two balls to adjust to any pitch conditions in the world. I think imagine being the kind of athlete and in an upcoming podcast, I'll be interviewing Vern Gambetta on this topic, but he says, imagine being the kind of athlete who, for example, let's say track and field. Oh, it's raining and the winds in my eyes oh, I can't, Or the winds in my uh, coming against me. Nah, I can't, can't throw today. Can't sprint today. Uh, It's the Olympic final. Uh, Yeah, but it's raining. I I can't, I can't perform in these conditions. I've not been exposed to them. Um, And it's kind of similar to what you're saying with goalkeepers. Like, it's going to be impossible to recreate, for example, Karius, um dropping the ball in the Champions League final. It's going to be impossible to recreate the psychological demands of 80,000 fans in training. Like, it's going to be impossible. But as you, I think you were alluding to off-air or on-air, I can't remember now. But if all you're doing is firing shots at the keeper straight in front of him, like, you're miles away from the psychological demands, the technical demands, the physical demands that are going to be in place when they get onto the field. Exactly, and, and it has
0: to be. Even if you know, if you, even if you were going to do that, you could do it different ways. You could do the ball that's hit could be rolling, and then you're not going to get a true flight as much. So the ball will move a little bit. Put spin on the ball. Hit with left foot, with right foot. Hit it. Um, make it like, again. Make it move. So make it drop. And then you could also be things like pressure the goalkeeper. So, like, chase the goalkeeper down. So, have another player there next to the goalkeeper, put him off, just to add that little bit of pressure to the skill. Um, so, you've got something to like, it's obviously, like, you see, you're not, you're not really creating 80,000 um, fans, but what you're doing is you create a pressured environment for them that makes that skill more difficult. And speaking of techniques that are kind of... Uh... Outlawed, shall we say,
1: in the traditional goalkeeping uh, handbook. Uh, one of the ones that you've divided opinion on is when it comes to plucking out a cross from the air. And what people who've seen Lee do will notice is that he will catch the ball, and will even if as contact with a defender or a striker, he'll then spin away from them, turning his uh, back to the uh, sorry, turning his so he's facing his own goal. And then he will distribute, for example, the ball out wide. Now, many goalkeeping coaches would be like, you never ever face your own goal as a goalkeeper. The platform is yours to explain why that might actually be beneficial.
0: If you to be honest, if people watch enough football, if if they like have a look at goalkeepers in these in these positions. So first of all, it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's even a split decision. I would say it's about a ninety percent, ten percent of people saying no to it. But you've got to look at it, look at the outcome, and you've got to look at it from um, a point of view of like also when does it happen and why do you think it happens? And, and like I was saying to you before, if you looked at if you looked at the outcome of it, so if you see Lee moving into space with the ball and playing it. Playing a throw or a side volley at the space, and the a team goes and is on the attack. You think, oh, that's class! That you bring it back a little bit. You look at him running out. You think, good speed there to get out there. He's dodged traffic. He's went through and he's found like a, a really clear path. Um, and then you take it back a little bit, and you see him facing his own goal, and you say, what the heck? Why? If he's, if he faces his own goal there, he's, and he drops that ball. That ball's going in the net. And then you take it back a little bit more and you see him plucking the ball out the air, beating the plate to the to the ball. You think, oh, that's that looks class, that, that's brilliant, that great goalkeeping. And you take it back to the start and you think, right, approach, everything's spot on. But the only thing you're unhappy with is that point, that small point where he's facing his own goal. And you've got to, you've got to think, instead of just saying no, that's wrong, because if you drop the ball, it's going in your net you've gotta you've gotta think, well, why does it happen? So if you look at it if you look at a cross being taken, <clears throat> it's not it's not always vertical, it's not always lateral, it's actually like more rotational. So if balls get whipped in from my left, I'm I'm gonna start with my hips kind of like open to the field so I can attack front post, central and back post. And I'm not going to run out in a straight line. and So the ball's coming in like this. I'm not going to come in a straight line and make the ball here. You know what I mean? So if that was the case, I would I would come through like this and be knee, like they talk about the knee up for protection and stuff, we can talk about that as well. Um, and you'll be travelling through through the ball. But it never happens like that because of, because of traffic, the trajectory of the ball. So your position, what you might do is you might arc your run so you're finding space. So there's loads of things going on. Like you're looking for the cleanest, the clearest path. You're looking at like um, where potential contact could be coming from. So what happens is when you go to take that. So say your, your hips are facing out towards the field, and then there's going to be a point where you've got to start turning into the ball, so you can take the ball square on. Because if not, you're waiting for the ball. Like we're saying, the ball to be travelling in this line, and you've got this window to like attack it there. And it's like, it's like that trick, you know, if you if you dangle a five-pound note, and you drop it, and you've got to try and catch it like this. And how many times? How hard is that to do? Isn't it? It's so hard. But and that's the kind of situation you're putting yourself in. You've got to meet if you're doing a straight run, you've got to meet that exact point. Whereas, arc and you run and, and rotate, and you can meet it. You end up meeting it head-on in a way, so it changes the position completely. But so it's coming in from my left, and I'm running, and I'm going to push off my left leg to jump up i'm going to use my right knee to like accelerate my jump so the right knee is coming up not not to protect you because your body's rotating anyway so if your knee's up there you, you're going to get hit on the side of your body there's nothing your knee can do there and um, the knee comes up to accelerate the jump but then what happens is because you you rotate when you're jumping and facing the ball your body's going to still continue to rotate so when you're in the air you're not catching the ball and turn you back like this into people. You're catching the ball square, and then as you come down, you're still rotating. So that that there's momentum still taking you around. So when you hit the floor, what do you do? You more, what's taught is is to like come up straight. So what happens is if you if you finish like on an angle facing the player again, or a little bit more towards your corner flag, if that makes sense, you've got to resist that change. So then you've got to stop. That momentum, and then come back out there. But nine times out of ten, there's going to be a player to your right, so you're going to turn into the player, or you're not going to be able to find, like, see, not be able to find that space. So then, what happens is, what the next best thing is is landing. Well, the best thing is, at times, not all the time. Remember, is to just follow natural momentum. So, like, if that's if that's swinging you around, follow it round. But then what's going to happen is it's going to take you into space because the players are coming across you. They're not coming in behind you. You're going to make the ball and they're coming across your line. So you're trying to beat them to the ball. So, or like you see, you're, you're rotating and they'll, they'll kind of, if there is contact, it's a way of like reducing force. So if you think, think like we talked about before, and hopefully this analogy is all right, but. Two cars colliding head to head. There's going to be, it's going to be an absolute disaster if they're hitting head to head. But what happens is, if a car can veer off to the side, there's going to be less force going into that car or or for less time, really, isn't it? So it's going to help reduce the force on the player. So then that means you've got less chance of spilling the ball. So that's kind of like, but like you say, it's not for every dart, it's not for every cross. Not You might see a back post as well. So when you jump in and catch in back post, what will happen is you'll start backpedalling because the force is taking you back. So what happens is you'll you'll naturally move them back. You'll want to pivot out and spin out. And there's a, there's a few examples where Lee does that as well. But I tell you who does it in the Premier League, Lloris does it in the Premier League. But nobody mentions it, nobody says it's effective and and it's he, not going to be the last people who do it, there's going to be people who do it, there's loads of things that people do in games that isn't coaching or it's discouraged in coaching and it's only ever seen as an issue when it goes wrong, so like say for example you look at, there's a big one where people say don't don't um, face your own goal when you save the ball as well, so you catch a ball. No, I'm gonna use different examples so you can edit that as you go up there. Um what's the example I'm gonna use? yeah uh, one in my head. Oh, so let's see it right. So the hop, people oh, no, actually, fuck that. Nah, no, that's another story as well that um do you reckon that's enough for the spin? Yeah yeah that's right, good. okay Right, it's fine you can get it out whatever but the the main takeaway is that it's not for every cross <clears throat> and it's 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 as opposed to resistant rotation uh, resistant momentum you're just going with momentum and uh just to go back to uh what you
1: said about the movement outcome I did gear you up. That I did uh, set you up for this uh, analogy beautifully, but you uh, you missed the open goal. So I'm going to, oh, claim, no this,
0: I'm going to
1: claim this analogy uh, as my own, which sure. it is for those people listening. Um, where coaches like the movement outcome, but then you backtrack a little bit and they're like, oh, I don't really like how you got there. It's kind of like if somebody says, oh, go on, try a bit of this food. It's lovely. So you try a little bit and you're like, oh, yeah, I really like that. And uh, then someone's like, "Oh, by the way, that's vegan," and you're like, "Oh, well, in that case, no, I don't like that at all." And you're like, well, "Hang on a minute, you like the outcome, and uh, now I've told you how we got there. All of a sudden, it changes the way that you view it. Like, how's that work?" Exactly,
0: you miss. It's a great oh. analogy that I've never heard that one before. Yeah, you, you can see <laughs> it if you want to, but I might have to charge <laughs> it. <might> <laughs> it's a good one though, um, but it is—it's true. Which it's, it's people. People don't, but that goes down to like beliefs. So people, what you've got to find, what you've got to, people have got to be more open minded. And it, it's great having beliefs and having being taught things and, and um, you know, like have have you again have your beliefs, but don't let them become a hindrance to you. So don't let them that don't marry yourself to these beliefs that um, you'll fight for them for the for the rest of your life, even just because you you believe it that much. You want it to be true, so you're going to fight it and fight it. And that goes on to my next point of like analysis, analysis, and I fucking hell, I couldn't say the word there. That goes on to my next point of like analysis of goalkeepers. So we see it a lot. Twitter is full of it. And we try to stay away from it, to be honest. we We never put any like analysis of goalkeepers. We'll only ever try and highlight like the good that they've done and why we think, it was good, so little things I could get missed out easily. Um So, what was my point again? Oh fucking hell! Sorry, mate. I'm there. Uh, I'm having a mare here. Uh, marry yourself to your beliefs. Don't... The, s- the snapshot of a goalkeeper. Oh so... yeah. So your analysis, I right, so. Should I start again from the analysis? So I say? see. Just carry on, mate. All right. So. That's why we don't really do loads of analysis of goalkeepers about mistakes and stuff because, first of all, we don't know whether it's a physical issue, technical issue or it's a mental issue. Um, so I don't like to comment and we don't like to comment on things like that because at the end of the day, we don't know fully. And I know people have got to analyse to, to help people not do it again but you're kind of analysing from a false position really, especially from a goalkeeper. If we're analysing from um, like a bird's eye view, and we can see, just for example, if a, a goalkeeper parried in an area and the in the striker finished it, we it's great we can see that because we're looking bird's eye. We can see the striker over there. But if we look through the goalkeeper's eyes, what's he looking at? What can he see? You know what I mean? So, I'm just using this an example. Might not be the best example, but it's that idea of like having a relative outlook. So, it's it's so it's so easy to slow things down, put it in a super slow motion and be like, ah, yeah, I can see the problem there. You know what? He started with his hands, one hand down here and one hand up there. Or, like, I mean, that might be clear, but it's easy to slow things right down and nitpick and find and, and say this is why it's done it. But it's happening in such... It's one of the fastest sports, you know what I mean? Like, football, but I think the average speed might be now of, like, something like 70 miles an hour or, or even... It might be more I don't quote us on these things like but what I mean is that there's so little reaction time for things happening in football that it's not as simple as just saying goalkeepers should have done this should have done that there's far more complex things and all we ask for is like people have a bit more empathy towards them especially like goalkeepers you've been in these positions before so surely you should be like you know what It's it isn't as easy as that like but Sometimes goalkeepers are the harshest critics. Goalkeeper coaches, goalkeeper analysts—they are just and they just see it as black and white, as opposed to really actually thinking. You know what? I've probably been in this position before, and I've been done by this or that. And just listening to you chat there reminds me of a
1: couple of things. I think it's in um, oh, his name eludes me now. I can picture his face. Uh, Mark? No, not Mark Epstein. Epstein is oh. The guy who is the author of The Sports Gene, his surname is Epstein, and it's going to really frustrate me now. Um, but he says about the classic in uh, in baseball, they talk about keeping your eyes on the ball. But if they're not, if anyone's read uh, The Sports Gene, it'll say that the you it's physically impossible with the speed at which elite-level baseball pitchers throw the ball. It's impossible to see the ball because by the time you've blinked, the ball's in. Um, I mean, I'm using the word bat stop now because I don't know what the equivalent position is in baseball, but it, it's in the it's in their glove. Um, so when they say, for example, oh I can't believe he's not seen that. You know, like, did you actually know what the goalkeeper was taking in? I mean, it, it's a classic case of self-serving bias that strength conditioning coaches, I hold my hands up. I'm sure I've done it where everything is due to a physical limitation. And it's like, oh, as an example with the goalkeeper. Oh, well, he wasn't doing enough lateral plyometrics work and that's why he hasn't covered as much distance with the dive and you're like well what about the visual system what about what did he think was going to happen there's a great clip of again I'm probably waffling a little bit here but a great quick clip I saw uh, on Twitter of uh, an FA coach um, who highlighted how Romario was such a good finisher and they showed all the uh, unconventional Things he would do to catch the goalkeeper off guard: taking the ball early, uh, toe punting the ball, and you're like, you would never ever coach an under-11 side, right? Here's how you're going to strike the ball: you're going to, you see your big toe, you are just going to put your big toe through the middle of the ball, and you think, well, no, 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 that's wrong. We've got to strike it with the laces, We've got to strike it with the instep, and you're like, well, hang on a minute. If you scored the goal, are you really going to turn around and say, oh, I know you scored the goal, but what you should have done is use the inside of your foot or put your foot through it? No, exactly. Just, I like, and this is this is where it's interesting in terms of the outfield versus the uh, goalkeeper analogy. Uh, R nine, so like the classic Ronaldo toe punt finish. He does it. It's a stroke of genius. I can't believe he's done that. Going back to to Stegen, he comes off his line. Oh yeah, but what if he drops the ball? You never go to like Ronaldo and be like, oh, you see how you toe punted that? I know you scored the goal, but that actually there's not much power going on the ball, so. And there's not much precision. So
0: maybe you want to think about using the side of your foot. You'd never do that. And and what people do is they wait and wait and wait until the final scenario when it doesn't come off. And then they're like, bang, getting on that. So I told you, I told you it was wrong. I've said this for how long now? Like, But then you don't see like the nine out of 10 times when it was successful. It's, it is, it's, um, it's, I think it is quite a negative environment. Me. I think um, I, I will put something out the other day and just saying like the what if in goalkeeping creates negativity like massively because everybody's frightened to to do a little bit more. Um and people and what happens is people don't end up appreciating the things that you do well. So like somebody's just commented there on Twitter saying, um, look at the space at that front post, massive gamble paid off. And it's like, well, no, it wasn't a gamble because he didn't go really, really early. He's in a position where he can still cover the front post, but he's waiting to react. So you can't see it. It was a gamble. It was, he's, he's analysed the situation. So don't discredit this. Like, and that's what I hate about goalkeepers. Like, people are so quick to discredit people, discredit goalkeepers. Put it this way, right, Todd? You could see it about most sports. Would you not say some of the most unconventional? Um, styles of, of, of techniques and that, that, that these top, top elite, like best in the world athletes use. Is it not like a a common denominator there that it's not textbook? Like a lot of these people who are absolutely incredible at the sport and special and regarded as the best in the world, it's not because they're, they're amazing at this textbook stuff. They've got their own style and, and like I've put performances, some of the most like amazing pieces of goalkeeping wouldn't be regarded as textbook, but yet people <laughs> are They're like that is all the teach, that is all the one. But like I say this, it's just about not discouraging natural things to, to, to goalkeepers. If it works, if a goal if a goalkeeper is doing something natural, and, and this goes for any sport, if somebody does it naturally and the competent at it regularly successful outcome how can you try why would you try and change that just because it doesn't match your beliefs i think it's i think it's a pure ignorance and it's funny
1: because uh, i don't want to publicly uh in fact oh, i'm gonna do it he knows it's in good uh, good faith um so a good friend of mine george green he's been on the podcast we've had we always have conversations it was a great year um during my teacher training year where we would bounce ideas off each other and we say what about this athlete doing this or this footballer doing that um, so George is a UEFA B licensed coach. And when I was chatting to him yesterday, uh, we were I was sending him stuff about what me and you were going to talk about on the podcast. And uh, one of the things he said in regards to uh, Lee's technique where he plucks the ball out of thin air or plucks the ball from the cross, spins and then distributes is he said, for example, that not enough goalkeepers do it for him to make a judgment call as to whether it's more effective or not so effectively again a good a good a good point in regards to such a small sample study but then if we look at something like the frosby flop when uh i'm I'm sure his name's mark frosby but i probably butchered that feel terrible for it but when he first went up to the high jump and did a frosby flop everyone was like it's wrong what is he doing and then years later the sport develops everyone's doing it you're never going to see someone in or you rarely see in high jumping someone walk up and basically scissor kick their way over the bar because it's not efficient and i wonder how long it'll be before goalkeeping starts to take this mold of right what is the most efficient way of doing something um you sent me a clip uh, the other day of and you you made clear the context that you didn't say, this is the best way to do it. You need to pluck the ball out, spin and rotate. You just said, right, I'm going to give you a movement challenge. I want you to have a go at doing it this way, and then maybe have a go do doing it this way and see what feels natural. And when you showed me that side-by-side of not rotating versus rotating, immediately I thought, wow, when it doesn't rotate, that looks like it requires more effort to kill the momentum. And it, not- if, for me, that five-second clip did more than watching... For example, Lee plucked the ball out several times because I was thinking, that's the first time I've seen it, but I've not really known what I was looking for. Um, whereas when I see someone stop the rotation, I don't know, it almost feels
0: like, oh, what, why did you do that? Just go with it. I, that, that's a great point, isn't it? I think you've got to see something that's unsuccessful before you can appreciate something. Um, but going back to that, though, that's a prime example of, of goalkeeping, I think, in, in, in other sports and other... Um, I think in in everyday life, isn't it? It has to come from this top source for it to be um, act, uh, acknowledged or accepted. He doesn't doesn't realise that Lee was absolutely exceptional at crosses, like unbelievable. So is there no like again correlation between the what he done to why he was so good at taking crosses? Instead of just thinking it looks, it's unorthodox. But then you don't think, well, that's maybe why you're so special at, at doing it. And like people fall in the trap all the time. I think people need, to, uh, as opposed to trying to uh, like create efficiency from scratch, maybe look at what's already efficient and then think, right, why don't I try that? I'll try it. If it doesn't work, so what? I've tried it. But you you never know, it might be amazing for you. It's like uh, It's like trying another sport, isn't it? You might never played cricket before, but you could be the world's best batsman. But you would never know until you try it, would you? And it's the same with like, the same movement patterns and and um, techniques in goalkeeping. Try it, like, fill your toolbox, you know what I mean? Like, like, work on, look at every technique you can think of and see and think, is it efficient for me? It might not be efficient for you, but it might be efficient for someone else, but there's no harm trying it. But that's where, like, you see it. People need to like. You can't just wait for. It's a. It's a bit like S and C. I always remember to it. They said you can't just wait for science to come about, for research to come out. Otherwise, you'd be waiting for a long time. Yeah, there's got to be an element of trial and error, hasn't there? And even in what you just said there, I mean, I
1: posted um, a, posted a highlight of a podcast I did with my powerlifting coach uh, the other day, and albeit I'd been lifting for some time before then but with him in two years I'd gone from lifting recreationally to stepping on a national platform and I think I finished 13th out of the under 74 lifters in the country And you think wow if I'd have discovered if I'd have discovered that I had the levers built to squat like years earlier who who knows like
0: (laughs) who knows I know that's exactly it though isn't it like don't don't get caught up in um what you haven't been taught and don't just think because you, because you've never seen it before it doesn't make it wrong just because it doesn't match your belief you've got to analyze it look at it look at it from a different point of view and think like why why does it happen actually i can see that now that makes sense why you do that like um, Oh,
1: sorry. On the subject of I'd never seen that before, but why is that happening? Um, A great example from uh, this weekend was Kashmir Schmeichel pulling off uh, probably one of the best saves I'd seen. Now, we had a good discussion about this yesterday, and I even put it on my uh, Instagram stories. And I said, What are people seeing with this movement? And it was really interesting because I was breaking it down as a strength conditioning coach, but some people said, Oh, what an amazing header, great leap. And I'm like, it sounds stupid, but I was breaking down the goalkeeper, but perfectly legitimate of a point. Um, but something that came from that, and I only knew, realized this from your post, is something I'd never heard of before called a cross understep. Now, a cross overstep, you see it quite a lot in, for example, tennis. Um, and indeed, I'm sure in football goalkeeping, maybe less spoken about less so. But a cross understep I'd never heard of. Um, do you want to talk the listeners through what a cross understep is. And if they haven't seen the Schmeichel clip, um, if you would be able to
0: describe that for them and why it might be being done. Yeah. So football well, goalkeeping, it's still seen if by some coaches is negative to cross your feet. So regardless of what distance you travel, uh, which is mental really uh, because as you know, crossover steps so efficient at covering distances. Uh, quickly isn't it and great distance um, but what people still believe is they think what happens if the ball shoot? But if somebody shoots when your feet are crossing and I'm like but it's relative so you're not going to cross overstep when somebody's about to kick the ball like it's relative to what's happening so you know if the ball's travelling you're crossover step when the ball's travelling when the ball's at somebody's foot to shoot you're going to be in a position where you're ready to like react um, and you're not going to be like you're going to be having some sort of energy there on your feet, but you're not going to be moving still. Um, there is times where you're going to be moving. There is times where you're going to be moving into something, but it's all relative. And I think people just again discredit themselves and other people for it. I think they don't realise like how clever our body actually is and what we're processing, how we're how we're just. Sometimes it's unexplainable for some for some goalkeepers, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen and it's wrong. Um, but they're not uh, regarding the cross under step. So, in all honesty, I didn't know what it was called. I, I was calling it uh, a cross behind step or something like that. a while ago, but it was it was funny because I only noticed it from a video that we done with Lee, and this is going back maybe two years ago. I just put it back on the page the other day because I, I I remembered he'd done it. But it was relative, so he's he's on an angle to the ball, and then what happens is he doesn't want to come out and close the angle down because he doesn't know where it's going to be. He wants to try and maximise his reaction time, so he wants to turn in and still be like close to his line to react. Um, so to do with where you where your legs are and where your body's facing. So if you're facing, I'm trying to. So see, um, the camera is where the ball is. Let's see. And I'm starting on this angle now, right? This is my left leg. So for me to do, um, to swivel into position, I would have to bring this left leg back, then shovel my feet and sidestep in. Um, or I would have to, if I'd done a crossover step, it would take us further out my goal towards you. So if I were to come to this position, I need to retreat a little bit. So retreating just means bringing that foot back, so almost it, all it is is kind of like bringing the foot back and then the left foot swivels out and then your hips are square at the ball. And that happens in one movement. Um, but regarding how I found the cross step, I actually, I, I don't know what I typed at Google, but I looked in it and it came up. There was two things. It was roller derby and it was, um, I think it was bolts dancing. So, but that's what the, the movement's still the same. It's still like, like you see crossovers, bringing that. Far leg over the over the inside leg, and then the cross under is bringing the far leg behind it. Um, but I don't think it's ever coached, I don't think it is. I've never experienced it. I've never, like I say, I only picked it up because I knew Lee done it, and it's funny how I kind of worked out why it's done is because Lee done it in a video, and then as you know, social media, you've got some amazing expert coaches on there, <laughs> and people say. Why, why are you bringing your leg there? Or you shouldn't be crossing your legs. What happens if you, your feet tangle and you fall over? Or if the ball's hit when you're still crossing? And millions of different outcomes I, I was given. But I just had to look at it and think, well, why does it happen? Like, it's obviously, it's, again, it's efficient. So why is he doing it? And then the more I looked into it, the more I watched And I thought, well, again, it's just my own thoughts. But it plays a big part in keeping that depth. It covers a short distance. You're not trying to cover a massive dif- distance. Um, and it also it's quick to, to swivel the hip. So if you think what's quicker to like kind of like side shuffle all the way around like an arc, or is it quicker to just let that hip whip open? Do you know what I mean? So if, if you take that foot behind, then that that hip's got to reopen, hasn't it? So it kind of comes around quicker than, than it would normally. So that was kind of be thoughts to it. But Shemichel done it at the weekend and I just thought I'd bring it to surface because I don't know if people would have would have seen it or would have well they definitely wouldn't coach it. Um but it give him put him in a brilliant position for the first header and then the header obviously gets deflected or, or goes wider. And then what he uses he goes I think it's a – does he go crossover first and then into a side shuffle or does he do side shuffle? Or he goes I think he made side shuffle and then he does a crossover step again. Uh, so so it goes cross under, side shuffle and then cross over to make up that distance. Um and then he makes a unbelievable save. Um as we've talked about the other day, there's what like what goes into that save, like from a physical point of view, and it was good to hear your thoughts on it and and we're both I know we both spoke about it. Um you wanna to touch on what you think so, you saw yeah. or what you
1: believe. Yeah, so we'll we'll touch on the physical um, capacities in a second. Uh, But just as you were talking there, and this is something I was thinking about, but just listening to you has brought it out for me. So I was thinking to myself, he does a cross understep, which I've never seen before. And I was thinking, so to to re-describe for people who have not seen it, he's sort of covering his near post and he's got his chest in line with the ball, which presumably is to maximise the target area should the ball come to his near post now i was thinking to myself he's aligned his chest to the ball why not just drop step off the left foot if he then needs to orientate himself to face forward but then i was thinking if you drop step off the left foot you then lose your orientation of your chest facing the ball Uh, so you're now facing outwards of the center of the goal but the ball is on the right uh, your the your right wing. So you're not covering your near post either. Um, so it makes it easier if the defender does get beaten. And the distance
0: you... you travel, isn't it? So if you drop that left foot, you're still kind of right on that front post, aren't you? Mm. And then you've got, and then you've got, a, so if you've done that, right, you would have to drop the left foot. I think this is just going through my head from what I'm kind of thinking. If you do that, you've got to drop that left foot. Then you've got to step again with the left foot to create space with the right, don't you? Yeah. So that's yeah. that's like three, three movements as opposed to one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or I would argue it's uh, three movements instead of two. So the way I was picturing it in my mind is when he's positioning himself to have his chest aligned to the ball so his body's as big as possible, if he drops steps with the left foot, so his left foot then opens up but then what that does is when his right foot gets aligned with his left foot, so that's the second move, but he's now about a foot or two off of his line, which then means he either is going to have to react to the ball faster because he's further forward, or he's then going to have to take one or two steps back so he's on the line. So uh, exactly. in, in my mind, if he does the drop step, which you would see an outfield player do, if, for example, so a drop step for those people who haven't heard of. Um, so let's say that... Um, you're behind me and I'm going to turn my left foot towards the left, dip my shoulders in and then sprint behind me. And for anyone who's listening to this, go and check out the YouTube video equivalent of this podcast, because it will make it a lot easier to see these things. And I'm going to try and sync some clips up that Mark's been putting.
0: Um, but yeah, a drop step. But going to go out his garden and show you. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, the drop step would involve him Opening up the left hip, opening up the left foot, then readjusting his right foot to bring it in line with his left foot, but then he's two or three feet out of his goal. And I think this is why I've never seen a drops, uh, I've never seen sorry a cross understep um, before, is because you need as a goalkeeper is really important your body position in relation to your line. Whereas for an outfield player, you don't need to worry about that. You're just looking to change the Orientation of your body and potentially accelerate. Whereas Schmeichel's not looking to accelerate, and he's looking c- to cover distance laterally. Um, whereas, for example, if we take lateral movement in tennis, if I do something called a hip turn and the ball's quite far away from me, I'm going to hip turn and then I'm going to accelerate. Whereas a goalkeeper's not going to accelerate really unless they're charging down a one-on-one. Um, yeah, exactly. But uh, we'll sort of leave the cross under step uh behind a little bit and then we'll talk about the physical qualities of the say because this is something that again i don't profess to be an expert on but uh, i think it's definitely useful to think out loud in regards to um so try... sorry
0: babe. sorry i was just going to add one last thing with a cross on the step and i think it was a prime example somebody messaged again on uh, linkedin and, and said about it said he says in my honest opinion i i think it would cause problems because the feet would get tangled and uh But the crossover step is a brilliant exercise, a brilliant movement uh, to cover distance. And I says, well, it's interesting. Why do you think um, the cross under would cause that? Why do you think the crossover wouldn't? Um, And he says, about it's about players practicing it. I've coached both, and I don't think he had. I I think he's just not saying it. And he said, um, it gets a bit technical, um, difficult, but for professionals, elite players, they've got the time to work on these things and moving. And my my kind of belief to it is, I think, I th- again, I'm just thinking out loud, but I don't think it's a coached movement. I think that's Schmeichel just trying to be in a relative position for the ball, and it's it's just his way of getting into a position, a better position. He's not thinking of, like, I've got to do this step here and cross, cross, run. I think he's just thinking... Get to line in a position relative to the ball as fast as possible. And I think that's what you need to maybe see more of in terms of movement around a goal. Um, especially like definitely in terms of football, I think. Let goalkeepers work it out for themselves, let them explore different movement patterns and think, right, I want you to get the ball as fast as you can, get the get to a position that's relative to the ball as fast as you can. I'm not gonna tell you how to move. I just want to see you do it. See how quick you get there, and now I'm gonna look at what footwork you use and then what you do is you speed up the service. so if you think right they're not getting there in time I'm going to speed up I mean uh, they're getting there well but they're doing a certain type of footwork speed the service up and see if that changes the footwork again and but again like I do think it's just a natural that was just a natural movement it wasn't a coached thing but it would definitely be something that would be discouraged and coached out and that was me kind of issue for bringing it up My, my big thing was like Look at how efficient it is. So don't discourage it just because you don't coach it or you've never seen it before. Look at it from a point of view and thinking actually that worked really well because of like the points that we talked about there. He maintained his depth, he, he stayed square at the ball. It was it was less movements to get into that relative position. So it's a quicker movement. Um and I think that's that's a lesson to learn with nearly every every sport and every every technique that's out there is like don't be quick, the discredit dis like to, to not use it because it's not something you've coached people are amazing at problem solving our bodies are a class at like solving problems um so all i'm trying to say is just don't always discourage things that you you might not teach i think that's a big takeaway for a lot of things
1: yeah and just because you've seen it and it's not something you would teach doesn't automatically mean that it's wrong and just um just listening to you talk there, immediately I'm thinking, oh, but what if he crosses his feet? What if he scores? And I think there's so many written rules in goalkeeping. You know, why is that a rule? So, like, I think what's brilliant about what Schmeichel does is it allows him, the footwork he's chosen to do, allows him to stay on his line. But one of the unwritten rules of goalkeeping is, and I, I actually just remembered this when you were talking and I remember someone telling it in, telling me in my teacher training year as a goalkeeper and this girl or boy or whatever pupil uh, said oh miss I've never played in goal and she's like oh it's just like you're working around a semicircle and I feel like a lot of sport comes down to you need to know the rules to break the rules so we were talking offline about how you would set a boxer up who've never boxed before and you said right you need to protect your face right glove by right shin left hand slightly in front for an orthodox fighter And that's great. But then also you look at Muhammad Ali and Prince Nassim Hamid, hands down by the waist. What's sufficient for them? But you need to know the sport well enough to know what are the sort of rules, quote unquote. And then how might you break the rules? Why might you break the rules? Because otherwise sport, well, one, sport would be boring, but two, it'd be so predictable. Um, But if we go into the physical aspects of the save now. um, So when I watched it, the things that were springing out to me, because the commentators are like, oh, it's great wrist strength. But then I was thinking, do you need to be strong proximally, so close to the midline of the body? So you suggested when we chatted, uh, it might be pec strength. Um, it might be uh, anti-rotational, anti-extension strength, so core strength. Um, and I was thinking, right, is it more a case of you train the player just when they've never experienced strength and conditioning, just to have strength in the prime movers, so squat, hinge, push, pull. And then once you get them, quote, unquote, strong enough, then maybe you start moving more distally. Uh, so you start thinking, right, maybe we're starting to target mid range isometrics and then maybe with the wrist and forearm, maybe we're looking at, I don't know, overhead carries, uh, hands down wall walks, um, handstand down walkouts. So when you're in a press up position and crawling your hands forward and then I was thinking, hang on a minute, is this a strength quality? Is it a stiffness quality? Uh, is it the ability to resist a, a part of your body being moved and you think, right, this rabbit hole can get pretty deep, but uh, let's explore it now. So what are you seeing from a physical perspective uh, when we see that save?
0: As I said to you, I, I, for me, I, f- I feel like it's more stiffness um, and anti-rotation because of there It's just, he, he, it doesn't look as if he's like really coming into the ball, does it? I think there is a bit of abduction, but I think he's... Um, it's more to do with just creating a real strong, almost like barrier, like a, like, um, a real strong shape. And he doesn't want to be moved from that shape. And that's how I kind of see it as. Um, but I know we, we talk about loads and I think it's it's harder to pinpoint it, isn't it? I think um, whatever it is, it's phenomenal, isn't it? You've got to say that is some unbelievable physical treat that like isn't it
1: oh it's yeah it's fantastic I think it's also important to see it in context because um again speaking of my uh speaking with my good friend George he said yes but how often is that scenario going to present itself in a game and you mentioned a great point on uh when you uh, spoke on the gloves on podcast about the quality of service from goalkeeping coaches and in terms of schmeichel's feet, foot movement that was obviously in response to a situation that was developing in front of him and i always think whether we talk about the save what was what footwork movement is how trainable and coachable are those movement and physical qualities and like to what extent are they are you able to develop them as a coach and to what extent are they uh, instinctive and i just think you've got to be so good at coaching to be able to design a I'm reluctant to use the word drill, but to design a game that will present a scenario that forces the goalkeeper to explore movement options. And I think that's easily said, but very difficult to create. And you mentioned about when we were speaking off air, are the goalkeeping coaches the best people to actually try and recreate these scenarios? If uh, you remember what that was about, when we were talking about uh, using academy players and kind of similar to sparring
0: partners in boxing, I guess. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that, if that rings any bells? I think what we've talked about a lot, I know obviously it's not always uh, possible, but I think a goalie coach should be the man behind the goalkeeper through the session. I don't think we need to be serving balls. Obviously, that's it depends on numbers and stuff, what you've got. But if you've got enough numbers there to be to be doing the drill, I think the goalie coach should be behind the goal kick and getting his perspective all the time and then being able to coach him from there, but then going back to it is he be, is he able to hit exactly the type of ball that these players are going to be hitting in games Premier league you've got to think that players are players are unbelievable like in the Premier League now like and no no disrespect to uh, an older goalie coach, but he's not going to be able to move the same and play the same ball as what these young top like world-class footballers are going to be playing and I know obviously then you can go down the rabbit hole even further can't you and say well can these academy players hit the ball like these players you know like it's easy to get yourself carried away but I think they will present an outfield player would present more of a realistic cue, body cue strike than what goalie coaches what are other goalkeepers but I know obviously it goes down to having the right amount of uh, bodies there and training and things like that but we, like we were talking about, service. So if you haven't got enough body, service has got to be the minimum thing that's realistic. So big thing with the service is obviously it's got to be relatable to a game. So you've got to practice techniques, but with the right type of service. So amazing at coaching techniques and goalkeepers. We see a lot of that. Loads of people are amazing at teaching these techniques. And when you see it on video, it looks lovely. Shapes look perfect to what the the want. But then on match day, how often do you see those shapes? You rarely see them. And again, like we talked about before, everybody talks about attacking the ball and diving forward. Like it has to be it has to be cutting the cutting the um, the line of the ball so you, you you're stopping the ball at an earlier point before it gets too far away from you where you can't get a save. But trajectory plays a part in that. So if a ball's flat and travelling forward and rising you can step in and cut that line out early. But if it's uh, if it's curled or if it's looping, then that point where you're if you step and try and hit that line, that ball might be the furthest point away from you, or it might be loop the highest point away from you. But then there's gonna be a point where it starts to curl back in or it starts to come back down. So that's when you see goalkeepers get a bad name for it, diving backwards, people always say don't dive backwards, and I think that needs to be changed, it shouldn't be called diving backwards, because diving backwards to me is like a scuba diver dropping off a board. <laughs> you know what I mean, like going backwards is like no energy going into the ball, but when you look at it, it's like almost anything that's kind of lateral and behind lateral line is classed as diving backwards and it's viewed as negative, and it's saying that you can't produce force at the ball, but all you're doing in theory is you, you, you're still attacking the ball, you're forcing onto the ball, but you're just doing it at a different point of contact. So you're stretching your reaction time a little bit further as well. <clears throat> and uh, But like you say, it's, it's all relative. So you're not going to do that on every shot, but you're not going to attack every shot. So it's about knowing when you do these things and being able to see these things to be able to anticipate them, uh, which we'll talk about obviously with, uh, with Oculo one second it's a bit bright there, oh, there. Um, we'll lead into like obviously into Oculo as well um, because I think that's something that's absolutely groundbreaking that's going to change goalkeeping massively for the better <coughs> um, but then also like just going back to the service having having players who can hit balls like what you're going to get on a, on a match day and um, there's, you could you could go on forever about it. Because the more you break things down, then the more you can start seeing counterbalance, like counter arguing and, and like seeing that you don't know where to stop with that. But I think what's important is it should replicate at the minimum if you 'cause you want to transfer to sports or whether it's the environment that you're in, or whether it's like pressure, plays around you, obstructed views, um chance of deflections people running across your line, unnecessary information. So things going on in your peripheral, trying to, trying to like deviate from there and um, almost like noise cancellation, you know what I mean? But it's like visual cancellation. So you're trying to stop what's going on over here, which is irrelevant, but trying to focus on what's here, but then also maybe still having this in the middle here, which is a potential. So it's visual intelligence as well, isn't it? Having that, having those visual skills and, um, but again, I sorry, I keep going off this thing off topic of um off service. Um so if you if you can't replicate those things of like obstructions, um def- of deflections, things like that, the bare minimum it has to be is match like service. So like rolling balls, balls are moving. <clears throat> and also from the goalkeeper's point of view, yeah. What we see a lot of, and you see a lot of people working on it, and we can we've been guilty of it too because obviously there is a place for it, but a lot of the time is you're doing shooting drills or, or we're creating drills where the goalkeeper's in the position already. So, for example, with Michael, right? What people might work on a lot is that final outcome. So they'll be working on that block shape, that spread. So they'll work on that, that, that. But if you can't get there in time, that spread is absolutely irrelevant, isn't it? It's like having the best forearm in the world, but not being able to run. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, well, different forearm.
1: Oh, say, no. like,
0: you know what I mean? Like in, in, in boxing, you could have the best right hand in the world, but you've got no legs. <laughs> I mean, that would make things very difficult. <laughs> that, that would be an extreme. So obviously, block that out. But you know what, <laughs> what I mean? Like, so we're taught, like, seeing tennis as an example, you could have the best forehand. Out there, but you're terrible at movement, you kind of get to the ball, so it's absolutely pointless, isn't it? You don't you don't need that. Um well it's it's you don't need it, you do need it, but it's just it's no good. Um so it's the same thing with goalkeeping in terms of you've got to start things where they're starting out of position and coming into position because it's gotta be relative. So something that I'm massive about, and I think it's really important. And I know you'll, you'll see it from my point of view as well, but deceleration is massive for sport, isn't it? I think like goalkeepers, definitely outfield players, definitely, because it's great working on your, on your quality speed, like trying to be faster, but that's in a straight line, isn't it? If we're thinking of like the sport itself, you could, you could in theory, like say speed in football, is different from speed in hundred metre sprinting, isn't it? Um at like speed of movement. So like for example, a goalkeeper, if the ball gets played across the box, but then it gets played back across him, he's got to be able to decelerate fast enough to to then produce force again in the in the opposite direction. So there's a lot of emphasis on being really powerful as a goalkeeper, like loads of people work on um like your will the work on strength exercises um they'll work on like say more power of like the concentric motion of it but not not enough focus goes on to like deceleration but people don't realise if you can't slow your body down you're not gonna be able to reproduce that force as quick are you? And going back to what
1: you said about Schmeichel creating that big shape, um if for example he's not able to reorientate his body appropriately, then the amount of force production that an athlete has is irrelevant. If they're not able to produce it from the right positions the, the analogy, uh, the analogy I would use because I'm partial to an analogy or two um, is you could have, for example, six, seven gears in a car. If you want, you could have the biggest engine, but if you've got one of the tires that's slightly to the side and you can't drive that car, the engine size and the amount of gears it's got and the fact it goes 0-60 in the
0: blink of an eye and it, it is irrelevant exactly I like there's a friend of mine who's like he's the kind of guy who I, I I learn a lot from he's got he's been involved in goalkeeping he got he was a first Tunisian professional footballer in England uh, but he got a bad injury when he was about 21 or something career ending and he studied the position now for over 30 years and his outlook is unbelievable he's absolutely phenomenal like what his knowledge is and he's the guy I'd go to out of anyone, really, if I wanted to learn something or know something about goalkeeping. Um, and he talks about the body and mind have to be connected. He says you could have the fastest car in the world, the, the, sport, the best sports car you could ever dream of, but if you haven't got the keys to the ignition, what's the point? Isn't that? Yeah, yeah, spot on. Spot on, I mean. Like, like, it's similar to yours. Like, say it's, um, there's no good being this unbelievable athlete physical athlete technically gifted if you can't apply them at the right time then it's useless isn't it
1: and it's kind of where i'll try to not go too far down this rabbit hole but it's where my thinking's at as a strength and conditioning coach in the sense of working with kids who are complete beginners and thinking right what's going to make the biggest change in the smallest amount of time and on one hand, you could say, let's look at the research. It, it's going to be strength because if we improve strength in an untrained athlete, we improve stuff like kicking velocity, change of direction velocity, um, jump height, sprint speed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And by using this one thing, we then have a knock-on effect on all of these quote unquote more specific things. So by getting physically better at general qualities, we then tap into quote unquote sport-specific stuff, which is true. But then if they're so technically poor then you think well actually if I know the sport well enough and I can teach you how to move well enough and I can teach you how to interpret when you should move in this way or how to filter this information then maybe that has a bigger or more lasting impact because um, again I don't know whether this is true or not but I used to work for a tennis club in London and the chap who was my line manager had a job which involved Testing all of the world's top tennis players, and he said that Roger Federer had one of the slowest hundred, uh, sorry, the slowest ten meter times compared to seven hundred odd players on the ATP tour. And obviously, that kind of sounds logical, kind of doesn't. But his argument was he's just so efficient that it doesn't matter where he where he's starting from because he's he might as well be starting, you know, two or three steps ahead of. Other players because he's already read the game and understood where he needs to be in relation to his opponent and in relation to the trajectory and the flight of the
0: ball. Do you think a better test would be for that? Would be um, looking at like a, a change of direction for them. So rather than starting from a dead stop, like from from just acceleration, doing it from like a pre movement. So like if you think of tennis, apart from apart from a serve, and when they've got loads and loads of time. They never really still are there. No, no, and, and arguably and that's when, maybe why that could be why he's so efficient because he can make up so much ground or he he's so efficient at turning. Obviously, I, I mean the biggest thing probably for him is is probably his processing, like how he processes information, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think and, he'll
0: be he'll be a step ahead of most players.
1: Yeah, and if you watch how again another rabbit hole, if you watch, there's a brilliant. Uh, 20 minute video, which Howard Green, uh, another chap that I've had on the podcast, he has a whole blog on coordination and the thing, the components that make up coordination. And uh, there's like a 20 minute warm up video of Roger Federer, and they use different types of balls, different weighted balls, different movements, um, all stuff to sort of fire up the brain, if you will. Um, and this leads nicely into our discussion about oculo. But you watch his warm up. And you think, wow, his toolbox is so big. Um, whereas, as strength and conditioning coaches, we kind of focus on what I would call a toolbox within the toolbox. And we think, let's just get him as strong as possible in as many different ways as possible, rather than thinking, hang on a minute, that strength toolbox is only one underlying physical quality when potentially there's loads. I think if people take one thing away from this podcast, you're not saying that, for example, Lee's techniques are quote-unquote superior or work in every scenario. You're saying with Lee's physical makeup and his ability to perceive the game, this is the outcome that works best for him. So, uh, and that's brought me back to a point you made on earlier. On
0: that Todd as well, right? Sorry. On that as well, what I always want to make the point of is like, people, as we said earlier, People love to say what if, right? So they love to say, well, what if this happened? But then you could spin it around and say, well, what if the technique he used at that exact time was the reason why he made the save or he made the cross? You know what I mean? Like, why not spin it totally on its head and say, well, maybe he was so successful there is because he used this this, and this. But then what people think is they just think because he was successful, other goalkeepers will be successful at it. You know, like because they're so quick to discredit. And, uh, again, uh, talk about Lee in terms of his handling and that. He'll hold things that most goalkeepers couldn't hold, but he would dive backwards, maybe more than what most people would dive backwards. But is there not a a link there in terms of, like, like I say, dive backwards? I hate that term. Like, say you're tapping the ball in a different line, but it comes down to reaction time. But, like I say, he holds more than most, so there can't be, like... a. It can't be just a coincidence that that happens. Do you know what I mean? Like, Surely, again, you should start looking at it and think, well, actually, that's efficient, isn't it? That works. So why don't I try that? But people have people just want to hit the criteria of the textbook of what they're being taught. And if, it, if it's unsuccessful, you've done everything you can. Like, you've done the right things, but, you know, you got beat by it. But instead of thinking, actually, if you've done it like that, he saves it. Well like I say, if you use something unorthodox, it's wrong, even if the outcome's successful. Um and they think that everyone else would have made the same had the same outcome if they used the textbook way. But it's about finding you like finding your your strength really, isn't it? Finding your um find your efficiency, isn't it? And into
1: that point <laughs> A point I made last night in chatting to a good friend of mine in regards to Lee's ability to take the ball out of the air and spinning and rotating and distributing the ball. And he was saying, well, what if he drops it? And I said, well, do you not think that, yes, it's a small sample size in the sense of we're using Lee as an example and there's several other goalkeepers who perhaps don't do this. But I said, given that he's five foot ten and a half, which is arguably an, an, an anomaly in itself for a professional goalkeeper, do you not find it amazing how he's plucking these balls out of the air almost effortlessly when he's and, uh, quote, quote unquote too small for a
0: goalkeeper? That's what I mean. That, like, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, why not? Why not look at these ab- abnormals? You know what I mean? Like, look at these things that go against, like, sort of what should be happening. So if you, if you think flip an egg, like it works, it seems to work all the time. Why does it work? And like, there must be something behind it. So why can't we not try and learn from it? As, as opposed to saying it doesn't look right. I wasn't taught that. I think people are really good at disregarding stuff that they either kind of do themselves um, they don't coach or they've never seen it. Um, it's so easy, but that's where people have to be more open-minded and just think, well let us look into it like this could be this could benefit my goalkeeper in the long run don't let that like don't let your beliefs as i said before become a hindrance because it's ignorance isn't it what you're doing is because you don't believe in something it could be the best thing ever for your goalkeeper and it could make a massive difference but just purely because you don't believe in it you're willing to take that take that risk take that chance of not helping your goalkeeper just because it doesn't stand for what you believe.
1: And then I think on that subject, it plays to the whole, well, what if I explore this technique and it's wrong? Or what if I explore this technique and the keeper makes errors? Um, but just in terms of benefiting the goalkeeper in the long run, uh, a product that I'm more than happy for you to discuss, because uh, it really intrigued me that you guys have put out late And this product is uh, basically gripless goalkeeper gloves. Now, uh, forgive me for saying this because uh, this was before I looked into it. But initially, I was thinking, is this some genius business idea? They're using a quote unquote inferior product because it helps you grip the ball less and it's going to make you make more mistakes. And yet, they're charging people for the luxury of this. Um, but then I looked into it a little bit deeper. Um, but what was the idea behind coming up with gripless gloves? Because most people will say, well, that's moronic. Surely you're not going to play in like. Greased up
0: gloves in the game, so why do it in training? No, that's it. To be fair, there is some people out there who still don't understand that the concept, and the concept is absolutely as simple as you've just made it, though, mate. Like at the end of the day, people, people get it. Get like again, you get caught in that thing of like train like match day, um, but you're making you're ne- you're never really improving as much. To see, like, see your handling, right? If you're wearing gloves that have got amazing grip, you're not, you're not improving as a as a player. You're masking, you know what I mean? They're just masking your your attribute or maintaining. If anything, they're kind of like enhancing your level whilst you're wearing them. But if you take them off, then where you're at, you're back to what you were. So these gloves are probably the only gloves in the world. This is what we can mark them as. They're the only gloves in the world that's going to improve you as a goalkeeper. Whether that's improving your handling or even just improving your decision making and then improving your confidence within that. So the feedback has been absolutely ridiculous. Like it's been quite like unbelievable in a way because we brought them out, right? We brought them out because Lee used to find catching balls too easy. So like, I'd be pezzling them at him, I'd be absolutely hammering them at him, and he'd just be plucking them out the air and no more, no more there. Like for me, I'm like, oh, for God's sake, this is just ridiculous. Like I kinda I kinda beat him if I'm hitting it. But then what he would do is he might drop a couple, but it was purely nothing down there. Technique. It was down to just concentration levels, the fact that it was too easy for him, so he didn't feel like he had to he had to concentrate. So in theory, the training becomes a bit detrimental because it becomes too easy that. So the only way to challenge him was to like find something that's going to make it more difficult. And what the, the best thing about the gloves is that you become like the kind of the variable. So like, it's not about the serve anymore. It's all about you. You know what I mean? So you've got to be able to apply the right pressure at the right time on the ball, depending on what, uh, what spin you're getting on the ball. Um, so you, with gloves with latex you can catch watch watch some people catch a ball on, they catch the ball sometimes in the top of the fingertips and stuff or they can catch it, I like one hand you know what I mean, like they can catch the ball like that they can pick it up like this um, whereas ours, you couldn't do that, you kind of get away with bad technique, so you've got, your timing has to be absolutely impeccable but that comes down, your timing comes down to like focus doesn't it, so if, if it was the minimum benefit of these gloves, it just creates a better focus for you. If that was like the minimum, but there's so many more benefits to them, like you say, they'll help condition your hands. They'll improve your feel on the ball, like a massive thing. Is like the kinesthetic. So like being able to know where the ball is in relation to your hand, like that's massive. That, that, that improves your full control of the ball, doesn't it? The better you can feel something, the better control you've got over it. It's like... Um, Trying to think of another. We love our analogies, don't we? It's like trying to drive your air, uh, drive your car with a pair of boxing gloves on from training. You know what I mean? No, like you've got if you've got so you, straight away you've lost the lost the use of like fingers, haven't you? Yeah, well, fingers work as a whole, so you you've only got like two two points of like grip, then really, haven't you? Two points of control. Whereas if your fingers are free. They've got much more control over anything that they grab and hold and, and uh, move, don't they? So it's as good as an analogy to get that one, eh? like <laughs> <laughs> I might have to. Uh... Are, are your pads, maybe I should have said uh, driving home with your pads on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I was trying to know where I was going with that. Yeah, in, even in learning some of the handstand and calisthenics stuff that I've been doing, and even so, one of my recent training goals is to uh, – strict overhead press um half my body weight in one hand so 36 kilo kettlebell and just thank you uh and in just in learning and just in improving my efficiency even though i know that i have to keep that bar path completely vertical or for example if i'm doing handstand work i know i have to grip the floor it's kind of like there's only so many times that you can tell yourself it, and yes, it works as a coaching cue, kind of, but at some point you've got to be able to feel the difference. Um and my uh, I've been using a sort of push press so a drive of the legs um just because I can't physically get the kettlebell up any other way. But what I have been noticing is I can feel when that path is vertical, because I'm like, oh, I managed to get it up. And it's not because I've magically gotten stronger in the last couple of weeks, but I've just become more efficient. So improving the proprioception and improving the amount of force you apply at the ball at the right time. For me, I'm sure there's so many different, um, what's the word? There's so many different examples across several different sports, but the, um, in fact, another example that springs to mind is people are massively disputing the two hour or the sub two hour marathon that Kipchoge ran on the basis that physiology hasn't changed what has changed is the technology that has meant that the runner is more efficient. And that's why people aren't quite happy with it. Um, Whereas you're actually improving something within the goalkeepers. You're not just saying, Oh, here have these better gloves because they'll make you quote unquote better. It's like, no, you're just masking it. Like when I compete, when I compete in powerlifting, I've only recently got myself a belt and people are, Oh, why, why do you not have a belt? And I'm like, well, I want to know that every kilo on the bar is down to me, and it's why I've trained for five, six years without a belt. Yes, I do wear one now, but rightly or wrongly, I like, I want to know every kilo on the bar was
0: because of me. Now, again, waffling a little bit, but no, I know what you mean. I, of course, it's true, isn't it? It's I... like how many, how many? There's not another pair of goalie gloves out there that is going to make you better when you've wore, like when you've worn them, like. If anything gives you a bit of false, false security, because you're catching balls all day with these sticky, sticky gloves on, and then one day the suit super sort so, like they're absolutely drenched and wet, and you kind of catch a thing because it's not the same. You're not getting the same outcome as them. You know what I mean? Like you're not getting the same benefit. You, you're gonna like you're gonna get found out. Imagine that if you're training gloves all week on dry astroturf, and you think, wow, these gloves are amazing comes a Saturday and it's pissing it down with rain and you go and play it and you got to catch this ball that you've been catching all week and because you just you time well you're thinking that it's going to have the same grip and it just slips through your hands it's like that's the difference between a goal what if what if what if what if you guys got our gloves <laughs> that's my what if <laughs>
1: <laughs> very true very true and in terms of um I suppose, the, I suppose the theme I'm getting at is progressively overloading a goalkeeper. So we've touched on several things. You've mentioned about making sure that this service is similar to what it's going to be in a game. You've mentioned about, for example, making sure that the goalkeeper is actually improving their handling skills and it's not just a default of having grippy gloves. Um, the final one I want to come on to is your work with uh, Oculo. Now, I don't profess to be an expert in this, um, so I'm intrigued where the conversation takes us. But do you want to give, for those who haven't seen the post on uh, your Instagram, do you want to give an overview of what Oculo is and how it helps goalkeepers?
0: So it's been developed by Mel Mel O'Connor. <clears throat> um, he's been studying it now for about, I think there's been like 20 years worth of research went into it. Um, two world-renowned vision scientists have been part of it. Um, and it's tra- training in low light levels. Um so under those things like well, our perception kind of it goes like degrades a little so our visual system degrades so in a, in, in a way it's kind of like a bit like uh, weight training of the eye or altitude training so it's being put into a deficit our body's got to overcome that deficit and then once we go back to normal light levels we should be able to see things a lot t- Oh God, sorry, man. I'll start again. So when you, the idea is, is that when you go, when you're training in these low light levels, that yeah, it degrades your visual system. So it's going to affect your perception. So the idea is you like your body's unbelievable at getting better, as we all know, your body adapts to it. And then once it adapts to it in those low low light levels, when you go back to normal light levels, it's going to be even easier. So like, you're going to see things a lot clearer. And we're not talking about like visual acuity. It's more to do with like um, taking the information from the ball. So the spin of the ball, the movement of the ball, um, but not only just the ball, but also uh, motion perception of of the player. So it's been designed to improve motion perception, depth perception, and then in turn, that improves your reaction times. So the better you can judge where the ball is, in terms of the depth, then the more time you're going to have to react. Um, and then also, like you say, the better you can see movement on the ball, then the better, the more you can anticipate where the ball's going to go. Um, and then again, with players, you're going to be able to like, see body movement a little bit better and clearer. Um, and also, like we've done different drills where we start with the ball out of sight and come into the sight. So there's all these things that goalkeepers are going to process in games. Like they're always trying to find the ball. The first thing is find the ball. And then being able to see that ball come into, come into, uh, like, in your, Ike, what, what come into your system, your visual system. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know if that was the right, right way of putting it. Being able to see into your, into your, um, what you see. God, I can't even get your words out here. So what am I trying to say? Into your vision. Aye, sorry. So when, when the ball comes into your vision, it's about seeing it at the earliest point. So if you can see it quicker, then you can like readjust your position quicker. So the idea is it's a bit like, <laughs> a little bit like speed and agility training, how it needs to be topped up. So you need, uh, you need to be exposed to it regularly. Um, once a week is enough, but obviously the more times you're in there, the better it is. Um, but it can help any sport that requires like, objects coming towards you so like even for boxing i've says the mala says boxing will be amazing for it like if you were sparring in there in there todd like putting like little do you what would you look at would you say you look at shoulders shoulder positions when bit of boxing things like that when you sparred do you know what it's funny you said that because i saw a clip of
1: um i saw a clip of mike tyson the other week and i was like jesus that is so logical yet no one's ever said it to me um so a a reporter said to him where do you look when somebody when you're fighting somebody and he said well i I don't look at their head because their head can't hit me and he's like why why would i do that um but yeah I, i would say i'm looking at i'm i'd love to say i'm good enough and just focus on the hands um that's my textbook answer um but the reality is you're picking up cues you're picking up cues from everything like um again you probably need to watch this on video rather than uh, listen to it to know what i'm saying um, but one of the techniques in terms of throwing a jab in boxing is we're looking for a straight line so as this hand comes out there's a straight line and what you want to avoid or what you get boxers do is that elbow will start to kick out so uh, you know for example if i throw a bad jab and my elbow kicks out before i throw it I know for a fact, I've seen the elbow kick out. I know
0: a jab's coming. Well, so. that's it, exactly it. So, like, if you think of ocular, what you're improving is being able to see that fist, the depth of the fist. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's something that's going to be, that could be massive for, for, um, for fighting sports, uh, combat sports. I think, uh, Sister Mel, it would be unbelievable. That. But then you've also, you've got, you've got your tennis We've got baseball, which will be absolutely huge. He's been doing a few things with baseball. He already done a, st- a study with Durham Cricket. It was before we were at Durham, but um, all batters were batting over, I think it was 95 mile an hour Jesus. over a six-week period. And the slowest speed that somebody was batting at was maybe like 72 or something like that. So every person exceeded, like they, they improved the reaction time by something like 20% minimum. Yeah. which is like ridiculous, isn't it? That is, that is like obscenely high, isn't it? And just
1: as you were speaking there, and again, as I said, hands up, not something that I'm, I'm sure someone listening to this is going to rinse me on the terminology that I'm using. But I think there's only so much physical improvement you can get. So for example, if we, if we use a goalkeeper as an example, um there's probably only so much physical improvement you can get in say distance covered with a lateral dive or lateral power, whatever you want to call it. But, and you might see a very small improvement because you've almost, um, what's the analogy? Um, If I, if I want, if I'm looking for analogy, I think I might be. Um, So if I've got a massive jar and I want to fill the jar, so it's completely full and I've got rocks and I've got sand and I want to get everything in it. If I put all the sand in it first, then the rocks will just spill out of the jar. So I haven't used up everything. Whereas if I put the rocks in first and then I sprinkle the sand after, it's going to fill the jar because I've put it in the right order. If you've been training goalkeeping from a very young age and you've trained the physical qualities from a very young age, you've basically put the sand in first and now you're like, oh, let me chuck some rocks in. Um, Again, this analogy is not working out as well as I'd hoped. But what I'm trying to say is there's much more leeway to improve the visual system and what you're what you're describing there to me with ocular is what I'd call a super maximal stimulus because you're never going to get those low light conditions in real time if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I know that's it. So, like, so I said I put a comment the other day and I said basically, imagine imagine being able to improve your athletes in no other way by doing the exact same things as what you've been doing day to day and all these changes in the environment that you're in. Like that's, that's massive, isn't it? That is huge because there's been a lot of opposition originally when it first came out. Like we spoke to a lot of clubs about it. And I think goalkeeper coaches were a bit worried because I think they thought that it was going to be going in to take over them because there's, a, they can use a ball cannon as well, but we don't really like using the ball cannon. We'd rather do everything like, um, from, from a server. And what we're seeing is, is like, Oculo hasn't been designed to take over a coach. It's there to, to enhance the coach's session, if anything. So it's about embracing that environment and thinking, flipping heck, I could do the exact same thing, but my goalkeepers are going to get even better. So, like, what, what is that worth to somebody? What is that worth to, like, clubs, to players? And now it's coming to a point, like, he's worked with Solvid City, are the, are the ones who are using it the most at the minute. And the goalies absolutely love it, and they feel as if, like they need to be in it every week. They're not going to miss a session now because they've felt that benefit. Should have seen our layman, right? We went in, had a session. He was absolutely hopeless inside ocular, right? He must have caught about three balls or something. He was like powering them in and that, and I was like, flip my neck. Wasn't very good footage. This, and then we went outside. And I'm telling you, you know that video I sent you about like the aftermath. That was after being in oculo and I swear I'm Them things that he was catching, I was absolutely firing. He had the non-grips on, and he's like plucking balls out the air and that, and like holding things that nobody could even hold with the normal gloves on. And that came from having a, a, a really bad session in ocular, and then coming out into normal lighting conditions, and it was like so easy for him. It was absolutely class to see. And then another time we've done it. We've done it where it was. Um, he was in Oculo again. Again, it wasn't a great session. He wasn't. He wasn't uh, saving loads of stuff and that. I, no, sorry, I'm lying. All we've done, we've done passing in Oculo. We've just done short passing back and forth, like fast into here and stuff like that. But it was just firing into feet. And then we went outside and we had a crossing session. And he was like, I'm just seeing things better. Like he was catching every ball. So usually, sometimes when he wears them gloves, the first few balls, it, it's almost like a shock to your system again. And your timing might be a little bit off. And then once you get into it, you're flying again. And uh, like you say, it's regular you wear them, the better you're going to get. But he went into it and straight away, he was just plucking the balls out these when we were putting the corners in and stuff. And he was like, I've never felt this good. Like going into a crossing session. And he's like... At the start, because it was early doors, it was like, "Is that from Oculus?" He's like, "Can't be that, because we've just done passing in it." But I was like, "the the the whole point of being in there is just reacting to an object." So, like, even if you didn't want to do a your session in there, or outfield session in there, you do your warm up in there, you do some passing, short passing. As long as you're reacting to an object, it doesn't have to be technical work. It doesn't. Have, you don't have to be going in there working on proper technique or anything. You just literally have to work on reacting to an object and seeing this ball come towards you and then when you go back outside you're going to be moving you're going to be able to see things a lot clearer and on that subject the final thing I meant to say this earlier actually
1: in terms of the chats we've had in the last couple of days and coaches sort of for want of a better word coming at you with certain arguments you know that's just a ridiculous argument um one of my favorite ones in terms of Lee catching the ball and spinning out and then basically launching an attack, is people saying, no, 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 he should be focusing on the ball. He shouldn't be focusing on anything else other than the ball. And you think, yet we praise strikers and think, oh, look at his movement here, the way he's watched the defender's body angle and then peeled around the back of him. And you think that's incredible. He's just had such a wide range of focus, yet still able to track the ball. And yet, when goalkeepers are doing similar stuff, it's like no, we need that tunnel vision. We need just
0: focus on the ball. It's worrying in it to think like what the... again? And this is from this is from goalkeeper coaches and goalkeepers who who've done it. They've they've experienced it, but yet they still don't realise what goes on. So like, in terms of do they give do they not give themselves enough credit? Or to the just or is it tunnel vision for some and they're not as successful taking balls because of that? So they end up clapping people. But like when you look at Lee's, that was over a two-year period, that crossing compilation. And I can't imagine many people having a better crossing compilation, maybe over the careers than than some of the stuff that he was doing in those two years. Um you can't kind of find like again, but it goes down to you can't really find many crossing compilations on YouTube because People don't appreciate it still, they still don't appreciate crossing. So it's hard to find these compilations and you're not always gonna see keepers coming for crosses when you're watching match of the day and things like that. Um, but like I say that um there's no coincidence that he's able to avoid contact. Like it's not just like look, is it? And how do you know when to punch and how do you know when to catch if you if all you've got is tunnel vision? Because if, if that was the case, you would either catch every ball or try to catch every ball because of tunnel vision, or you would try to punch every ball because of tunnel vision, just because if, if that's the only thing you're comfortable doing is punching. So what's people's argument to like, how did the, how does the goalkeeper know when to punch it, when to catch it? Surely it's to do with like, say peripheral is a massive thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Spatial awareness is huge. Like, it goes down to like how good people are with the visual skills, isn't it? And visual intelligence. Um, but they don't, maybe they don't give people enough credit for that. And people, again, it's like, I think Todd that we've talked about loads is being self-aware can be one of the biggest performance enhance- enhancements you can get. Um, you don't have to make somebody physically stronger. Uh, you don't have to make them quicker. You don't have to make them like change them. Like, you know what I mean? You don't have to look for this change. Like that could take two, three, four, five weeks or whatever. Making somebody just aware of how the body moves or what they could do can give them a performance enhancement straight away. So like, for example, just using the Schmeichel one again, that cross under step, <clears throat> by getting somebody to do that, could improve their performance. And it's you're not changing anything like, well, like what we've said. You know what I mean? You're not changing any physical traits to them, are you? All you're doing is just making them more aware of how they move. And then they get a performance enhancement. And it's like, that's what you look for, isn't it? That's what you want to find, really, for, for people. And just to add to that point,
1: I think that, to me, highlights the value of quality coaching. So if I'm just to speak a little bit on it, if I may. Um, so you said about goalkeeping coaches fearing that Ocula would come in and basically take <laughs> over. you like, no, this is to supplement what you're already doing. But if I yes. can give you that one coaching cue that sort of, I suppose, brightens your field of awareness, oh, did you realise, you know, when the striker shapes up like this, what's probably going to happen is this. So you need to do this, or you might want to think about this. That's worth its weight in gold. So it, it's their technology on tap, not on top is uh, the phrase that I would use there.
0: I know exactly. That's a great point. Let's like, say that, um, yeah, you not, you can't replace the coach if the coach is good at what they do. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't replace them. You can, you're going to, you're going to make somebody miles better just by changing the lighting levels, putting them in this in environment, this chamber and doing the same things that you do every day. Imagine that, you feel like you've took somebody to the the furthest you can take them. And you're like, can I get them better? Like they just, they're just that at this peak now are just kind of change them so all we're doing is just kind of maintaining what they've got and then you go actually why don't we train that like it's ridiculous isn't it to think like you know like sport what's what allows us to play sport as well as obviously our limbs and (laughs) our bodies able to move but it's our sight isn't it like you could have somebody who's physically capable in terms of they can move, they can run, they can stop, they blah, blah, blah. but if they haven't got sight, they can't play the same sport as us, they can't play in the same competition as us, can they? So why not think, well, if that's the thing that separates us from these, if we improve it, isn't that going to improve performance? But I know there's people out there who think in terms, I don't know if there's not been a massive deal of like transfer between um, isolating visual Training. There's a guy I spoke to before. Um, again, like I'm no specialist in this in terms of the visual training things like that, but I know people out there who don't believe in it, don't they? Not. Mm. And yeah, you're always going to
1: get uh, criticism, <clears throat> or you're going to say, for example, are we putting the cart before the horse? Developing this visual system before we've developed uh, goalkeeping fundamentals. But I think you just need to step back and think, right, what's the easiest way to make the biggest difference? And for example, I remember when we were at Durham together and uh, Hartlepool United used to sometimes train in the strength conditioning facility and various different stories about them. But I was just think at the lower levels of football, and this is something I've podcasted on before, if you've played football for 20 plus years, and again, not to disrespect technical coaches, but if you've played football for 20 plus years, but you've got zero history of strength and conditioning, <clears throat> what's going to have the biggest impact on your game? Say, I don't know, a six week block of strength training or six weeks of kicking the ball. Now I'm not saying abandon playing football and just hit the gym. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is where are the easy wins? And that's what I'm thinking about with the gripless gloves with ocular, just doing what you're already doing. So you're not taking more time away from them. It's not like you're saying, right, let's take you off the football pitch and put you in the gym, which then, you know, that's a different conversation itself. But if you're already going to do these things anyway, why not try them and see how it goes?
0: Exactly, mate. Like, see the, the Zero Grips, they're our new ones that are coming out. And uh, basically, you could be... So the, the dots, we've got three dots on the thing. So there's... Um, each dot represents each level. So, say, the first dot represents youth, the middle dot represents amateur, and the top dot represents pro. And that's to say that a youth, an amateur and a pro can all wear these gloves and they all will improve. Like, hands down, they'll improve. It's it's crazy. You think you could wear the same glove as somebody else and still improve, do you know what I mean? And that's like from being a 10-year-old kid to being Manuel Neuer, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's mental. And the inoculars are the same, really. It's the fact that a goalkeeper's never been exposed to that type of training. So... Like you say, going back to the S&C, somebody not getting being exposed to any S&C work, they're going to get a massive benefit in a short period of time because it's a complete new stimulus to the body, isn't it? Inoculars, no different. Non-grips, our zero grips are
1: no different. And with your zero grips, I've just thought of an amazing uh, tagline for you. Uh, hands down, you'll improve. I've just got this idea of you're going to get so good with these non-grip gloves. You can have your hands by your side. Your visual processing and your grip will be so good hands down you'll impress
0: that's for, another, that's for another podcast that made hand just, position
1: for goalkeepers <laughs> indeed indeed and the final question before we get into the uh, outro questions is just something you mentioned in your goalkeeping psychology book uh, which i'll link in the show notes um is around the acknowledgement of weaknesses and a brilliant phrase you use in your book is You'd never say that a player is, quote unquote, seeing a strength and conditioning coach or seeing a physiotherapist like that just wouldn't be the phrase you would use. And yet some, somehow when a player is seeing a psychologist, it always gets leaked to the media and there's this negative connotations of, oh, well, he's mentally weak. Oh, he can't handle the pressure. Um, so what would you say to um I suppose, players or coaches who perceive seeing a psychologist to be a negative
0: thing? It's got to be looked at as a massive gain, hasn't it? You've got to think of it as another type of training for you. It's not, it's not, I think it's because people think it's about correcting problems, isn't it? Correcting issues. But people don't see it as it's a chance to improve your mental performance. And, uh, that opens it up to so much potential, doesn't it? Like, that's truly a way of maximising potential, isn't it? Because how many players do we lose through football, um, in football, due to the mental demands of the game? Like, it's ridiculous. And how, how much sort of things come off the back of that? So I think it's, it's massive for, like, it should never be seen as a weakness. It should be seen as a as a massive opportunity to strengthen yourself, strengthen your whole identity and your performance. It's uh, it's worrying that it's still seen as an issue, isn't it?
1: Oh, massively so. Like, I was speaking to my brother this morning, and I might have shared this story with you before, but he was saying in Shay Gibbons autobiography, he mentioned working with a psychologist, and uh, this trick they used was... If he'd made an error, he would then put this error in this metaphorical box so that once Sunday 5pm had come and the game had finished and he'd made a howler, he could then go and spend time <coughs> with his wife and kids and still be Shay the dad, Shay the husband, uh, and be moping about. And then when it came to Monday morning, when they would review the game, they would unpack this box. But it was just a way of, and obviously it's, that's easier said than done, but it was just a way of him being able to put football to one side for a bit enjoy being the family man and then not let with again something you talk about in your ebook not letting a lack of self-esteem or an error in football then spill over and spiral out of control disastrously as we've seen with uh, I'm pretty sure it's Chris Kirkland and certainly plenty of other goalkeepers where you become that athlete becomes the person who you are rather than so rather than uh, Mark who plays football it's now Mark the footballer and there's definitely key differences there which I think people don't appreciate
0: oh definitely mate I think you know what I I don't think the fans help though because what the fans will do is see if you if you show an ounce of, of like if you if you look as if you don't care 150 million percent to the club to football it looks like you don't care at all so like Say, for example, we're all for making sure that players create identities away from football because it's so healthy and it like you say it will only, only benefit you football. but if you look as if you don't care, it goes massively against you they hate you for it like they, they'll they'll abuse you for it and it's it's not right at all it's horrendous but like see it's that's so difficult to to be like your best off for, for football is to stay away from social media really like Keep your keep your life away from it, because you open yourself up. Like I mean, look at um, Ben Foster's had a bit of had a bit of grief lately because he's doing his cycling GK. But then when he's when he's posted, obviously he's keeping up with his content, and it's great. Loads of kids are learning so much from it, and I bet it helps so many people. But to fans they don't like it because if he posts his video and they get beat, they think it's a sign that he doesn't care. And it's mental. It's absolutely mad. People just want you to devote your life to football. And it's crazy. You should should never, should you? Like, it's mental. People get, how do fans get so upset and so worked up about the team getting beat at the weekend? You're not going to lose your job over it. Your, your, Your family's still there. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do people get so worked up over these things? Like, it's baffling. But this is where problems come from, don't they? And we could
1: easily go off on another podcast in itself talking about how people get so riled up that they then need to abuse players on social media. But there's loads of things. I mean, you know, I, I, I wonder where we'll be at in twenty, thirty years' time with... <coughs> the stuff that players have to endure and you think if that was any other workplace it wouldn't happen but again not going to go down that avenue just because again uh, another podcast uh, in itself Um, but just if this gets more than five views then you've got yourself a deal (laughs) we've got (laughs) ourselves a a part two and a part three yeah man Um, and just I'm not not holding my breath though (laughs) And just just in wrap it up, I've got three questions left. Um so the first one is, and you're welcome to plug your own stuff with this, I'm more than happy for that. Um but the first question is one recommended resource, um, whether it be for coaches, goalkeepers, uh promote
0: your own stuff, you do what you want. I would say as for an unconventional way of goalkeeping and and to really make you think about the position, then that's what we've created the platform for. The Modern day jk. Ah, I was, I was <laughs> on the way. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram.
1: <laughs> you guys created
0: that as well. Oh, you, you name it, mate. TikTok actually as well. TikTok. <laughs> I, I don't have a clue about TikTok like, but I've managed to we've got nearly a million followers in like nine months or something like that. Or yeah. but that's just for like aesthetics, you know what I mean? It's just it's just video, you're not there to learn really, it's just there for a bit of fun videos and that. Like, we just put the content that we've done. But um in terms of, I, you know, in, in all honesty, you know, I think what we're going to be doing this year, we're planning on doing a lot more YouTube content. So we're going to start delving a little bit deeper. Because not many people know, know us. Like, people don't know who I am. Not everyone knows Lee's full background. Um Our Sean's there as well. He's part of, like, the analysis. Um But, like, people don't know us. So it's a great opportunity now to find out or a whole bunch of weirdos as well. <laughs> I'm just laughing to myself because when I sent um,
1: some of the discussion topics we were having to a friend of mine, and one of his questions was, uh, "What level?" Because I sent him the video of Lee, and he said, "Oh, what level did he play?" And I just said, "I don't really see how the question's are relevant." And it reminds me of um, Jonathan Woodgate, who was on Talk Sport. Again, for people who don't know football. Transferred from Newcastle to Real Madrid, one of the biggest clubs in the world, and on his debut was sent off and scored an own goal. And uh, one fan tried giving him stick on the radio about it. And he said, "Oh, your Real Madrid debut? What was that all about?" And he, he disgraced it. Yep, yeah, scored own goal, got a red card. that? And
0: uh, by the way, how did? Uh, just out of interest, how did your Real Madrid debut go? <laughs> this is what. This is what. This is the world that we live in. Nobody's got any respect for anyone unless they've played at the very, very, very top. And what percentage of that plays at the very, very, very top? And what's to say it's not down to ability? Ability, flip an egg. I'm, I'm brave enough to say that he could have been one of the best about, no doubt about it, because of his abilities is ridiculous. And I would, I would like hold my hands up to anyone and anyone that's like challenge. We've always wanted to do sessions with with other people and that and put him up because he's a he's a freak in terms of his ability. And Like, but he played. He played in the SPL. Played. He played in. in uh, he played for Rangers. He went. To, he was at Rangers twice. Rangers is probably one of the biggest clubs around. I don't think people understand how big Rangers are. Like he, was, he was playing in front of fifty thousand people when he was nineteen. Like he made his debut at nineteen. Um, and then he went back in twenty fifteen, I think, or twenty sixteen, uh, when they were in the Championship. He was playing in a team that was struggling massively. They were massively underachieved. And he played he done mint, but he played that preventive role. He was preventing a lot of chances. He didn't have loads of saves to make. And it goes unnoticed. Nobody cares. Like nobody sees that as value. Um, but he played Scottish Championship the rest of his career. But how many like this is this is what like gets you you can't help but get feel defensive to it, can you? Because you think what does that make a difference? We weren't going to even mention league play professionally when we started these videos because you don't want people to. You want people to just appreciate the videos for what they are and just think, "Flip the neck!" Like that is that is talent. That is or that is. Ah, that's knowledgeable. That's right. I I do agree with that. I think that's a really good idea. But instead, it comes down to. Only people believe in the top source. So if it comes from England's goalkeeper coach, then it must be right. Nobody's to question that because it's England's goalkeeper coach. It yeah. comes from Martin Lee from the modern day GK. And it's it's too easily to questioned, people think. And it's fine to question it because you know that you're onto something because people, you're challenging people's beliefs all the time. And I'm not saying we're right all the time. All we're trying to encourage is we're trying to nurture natural ability and we're trying to look at a, look at goalkeeping in a bit of a conventional way and think, like I said to you, a massive thing is to do with like efficiency. And I think too many people are trying to create robots. And like you said it at the start, football would be boring if everyone played the same way. How would, how would let's say, Edison today... How would he be regarded as better than um I don't know like a, a championship goalkeeper if the both played the exact same way? Like it, this is where I also think as well, going
1: back to your point about like what level what what does it matter what level he's played? At? I can get nah. the argument of people saying that, but a couple of things spring to mind is firstly, the best boxing coach I ever had and never had a fight in his life. Never Aye. never. He he was the best coach by far for getting me in the right headspace prior to a fight. And then I had another coach who it was basically like every fight was um what's the word? You had to be riled up, you had to be rattled, you had to be ready, and it just didn't work for me. And anyway, not he was also a great coach by the way, but just didn't you didn't click as well. Um but going back to the Edison one, he smashes the ball. I know he still has a world record for I think the longest kick from the hands, but he smashes it to Gundawan, who then sits the Spurs defender on his ass and it's a an unbelievable... the before yeah. as well. Yeah, it, it's an unbelievable um setup from the goalkeeper. If Edison plays for Stoke and he hits that 70 yards and it doesn't come off, oh Route One, typical. <laughs> like if you saw that, let's let's just be honest, you see that in the championship or league one, league two. I guarantee the story isn't that's genius from the goalkeeper. The story
0: is how have you let how have you conceded from a long ball. Um, and uh like narrative, isn't it? The narrative of things is like it can be the worst thing ever for, for somebody like things just get totally discredited, doesn't it? And they like, said like Lee Lee played that way, like say five ten, height was never ever an issue for him. It was an issue to clubs in terms of like. When he was younger, I think he was nineteen at the time, and I think Chelsea were interested in him. And uh but didn't pursue it because of his height. But like Rangers, he was he was good enough, he was big enough. Um and he always played that way in Scotland, but he was he's unique. His style is so unique. Like he was he was doing things that like people are doing today when he was like sixteen, seventeen. He was coming his big thing when he was a kid, when he was like year three, he used to play for the year sixteen. <laughs> And they used to put he used the head teacher used to put crosses in for him as a warm up. <laughs> he's like, like, I don't know, what you eight year old or something, a little bit older or um coming and taking crosses and stuff, and he used to love it. And uh that was his biggest strength. But like you say, mate, it comes down to a lot of people don't respect it because he's not played at the highest level. But like and it's sad to think that people see success and failure depending on the level you play. So, like, it's not to say that he was nowhere near good enough because he was more than good enough to play at the top level. But people would say, ah, he's career. What a shite career. Like, people that put a worth on someone's career, how is that possible? It's like, it's like if I lent you 10 pence, right? And then tomorrow I go, Tony, you got that 10 pence. And you go to me, it's only 10 pence, Mark. <laughs> but who are you to put that value on 10 pence? It could be the difference between me paying for some milk. You know what I mean? But like, it's that point of like, who is people to put value on somebody's career? You cannot do it. You can't. It's like, I get again, to, to
1: tell you an analogy further, I posted on my Instagram the other day. This What's the that,
0: name of this podcast? And that, uh, that, What does that A stand for? Analogy?
1: Oh, 100%. And if you haven't seen the A in my logo, then uh, it doesn't stand <laughs> for athlete. It definitely stands for analogy. Um, but I posted on my Instagram the other day, um, a brilliant book called why don't students like school and the book is about why you can't teach experts in the same way that you teach novices um and it's done by a cognitive scientist but you gave a great example of the w position in goalkeeping but what if you've got a kid who's like eight years old and the hands are tiny is that w position going to work with a size five ball like it's not um
0: but is to well, say a careful mate because people pick you up on that and they'll say kid won't use a size five ball Oh, I know, I know. But um, I know what you mean. I know <laughs> yeah, what you mean.
1: Yeah, but, <laughs> but where I was going with that is so as an example, I've definitely fallen foul of uh, the ego trap with um, strength and conditioning. So in 2016, I was with the GB boxers prior to the Rio 2016 Olympics. Unbelievable year. I learned so much from different coaches, and I definitely attached part of my ego to uh, working with athletes who are going to the Olympics. 100, I did, and. When I went into coaching at school level, so in a private school, I remember some of the pupils said, "Why would you give that up to work with us lot?" And for example, now I'm a PE teacher, and I would argue that it's—I'm uh, not working with athletes; I'm working with like young kids, and <laughs> it's somehow seen as that's somehow a lesser role than working step with G- GB boxers. Exactly, it's a step down, and I'm like it's different direction, isn't it? It's a different—that's all it is. 100% and shamelessly plug in a book that I'm writing at the moment which is talk about how to get strength and conditioning into PE curriculum and it isn't by taking stuff that you've learned in a strength and conditioning suite working with young kids who pay you one-on-one for your time and you do it in a sets and reps kind of way it's not doing that in a PE lesson like it's not and several PE people I've spoken to almost get that vibe of when I say look I'm a strength and conditioning coach I've worked with young athletes I've worked with experienced athletes I know what that long-term athletic development journey looks like and they almost think but have you taught in a school and at least now I can say yes I have and based on that and based on my strength conditioning here's how it would look and people somehow think oh well you're just teaching a school therefore it's somehow a lesser role than working with these Olympians and Paralympians Um, apologies to get on my soapbox there but it's like saying Uh oh well Lee played in the SPL so, and you don't really see his technique used that much. So, what What do him and Mark know about goalkeeping?
0: Oh, no, that's it. And, that, and that's it. People would think that. But they don't know what goes on in football. You know what I mean? Like, it's not as simple as being super talented. Like, no. it's having the right guidance to do the right things at the right time and not do certain things at the right time. You know what I mean? Like, at certain times. It's, uh, but, like you see. I kind it's of think, a sad world that uh, you're living in it that people 100 and I kind of I've
1: scratched off our next question because I kind of feel like we've come back to this theme uh, throughout uh, so my final question is um if you could observe or spend time with one coach
0: and their athletes who would you want to observe and why for me I would love like I know obviously I'm not answering the question but I would love to see as many coaches as possible. I think that's the key thing to it is like being exposed to as many different kind of methodologies and uh, coaches' beliefs as possible in sessions um, and and also different sports. Like I've been looking at different sports lately and looking at how people are successful at certain things. Like I said, I put the one about the cross, the catching one with um, high balls in in rugby, basketball um, and Gaelic football. And obviously, like say people argue that the outcome of the the um if the fail with that skill, it doesn't have the same punishment as what it might have in football, but then argue that as well. The fact of if you drop the ball facing just go like that if you drop the ball facing your own net, you've got a chance to cover that before somebody gets it before you, you know what I mean? If you drop the ball in front with loads of people there, people are gonna toe poking in. So there's a little arguing back to people who say dropping the ball, but that's I hate that. That, what if I just think it's it totally disregards any positive style of playing natural ability. I think it's I don't think it should be allowed, yeah. (laughs) But, Um, um, as many coaches as possible, different sports, I would just love to, I would just love to
1: see that. Really, I think that's uh, that's an awesome place to end it. Um, mate, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate we've had a. a little bit of stop-start, and uh, I'm grateful for the inevitable editing job that's going to be on my hands. <laughs> but, uh, mate, it's been absolutely class. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, mate, I hope there's some decent stuff in there. Like you see oh. it, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to like, see how, um, how people respond, because, oh, like I said, we're not seeing that our way is the right way by any means. We're just trying to challenge things that's out there already and just let people know that... It's okay to challenge things and, and rethink things. It can only strengthen you as a coach or as a player. 100%. I think that's a great place to leave it, mate.
1: Thank you for listening to episode 41 of the Platform to Perform podcast with today's guest, Mark Robinson, and myself, as always, Todd Davidson. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could share it with a coach, a teacher, or an athlete that you feel would benefit from it and if you could find the time to leave us a review via your preferred podcast platform. If you feel you're in a position to support the podcast, then why not head over to my Patreon page, where in exchange for signing up, you'll receive exclusive access to all of my calisthenics kids' lessons, my ever-expanding movement library, all of my programmes, and all of the educational, strength and conditioning content I've released exclusively via my Patreon. To check this out, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Davidson. P2B coaching. Thank you very much for listening and if you'd like to download a basic guide to goalkeeping psychology or the modern day GK's non grip gloves then check out the links in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening and I'll catch you again in the next episode.